Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking... Hmm, that's a nice one. We're talking shitty dads and homophobic microaggressions. And we're talking... Oh my god, I can't believe how dorky I sound. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking a hamster named Buffy, voiced by Isabella Rossellini. Oh yes. We are discussing Stephen Dunn's Closet Monster, everyone. A film that, um, I, honestly, if you have not seen this movie, please seek it out as soon as possible. I wouldn't even recommend listening to this first, not because of spoilers, but just because I, the experience of watching this movie, if you are a queer person, I think is so important. Is that the word I want to use, Joe? Yeah, it feels kind of vital, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, it, when we're talking about queer representation, uh, this this is a film that I think a lot of people, whether you are a cisgender white male or not, will be able to relate to to some extent. Yeah, there's just something very seminal about this coming out process. I don't know. I'd be curious, actually, to hear if this connects with women and like trans folk as well. But especially for, like, gay men, I think this is a big one. I, I absolutely agree. And I know this is going to be a, a confessional-type episode, so why don't we bring in someone to help us out so it's not just our old stories coming back to, 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 to <laughs> entertain people. <laughs> All right, everyone. So he is a gender and film studies major living in New York City. He has studied improv at the Magnet Theater and the Upright Citizens Brigade and performed as part of We Will Slay 2 and the Christmas Spectacular. He writes and performs and has a secret drag past. Please welcome to the stage one of Joe's really good friends, Jonathan Huff. <laughs> Thank you so much. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, perfect. I just want to check. <laughs> I was like, what if I died, you know? Before my intro. Nice to be here. I'm excited to talk about this movie. So thank you for having me. Yes. So uh, have you seen this before? I had. I saw it a few years ago. I Living in New York City, I get homesick. So I seek out Canadian content. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so this was one of those <laughs> those binges that I was like, oh, I need I need some Canada. Uh, and this was this was actually <laughs> a really great pick when I saw it first. But I will say watching it again. And when when you were saying that people should seek it out, definitely seek it out, but then watch it again, because there's there's such richness to this movie that I felt I think I missed a lot on the first go around. And we should actually note off the top that there's a bit of a content warning. There is a hate crime in this film, and also the hamster dies. Also, I think also if you're going into this for the first time, even though we are a podcast called Horror Queers, and there are absolutely body horror elements in this film, it is more of a drama with those elements included in it. So I just, I don't want your first viewing to be like, well, when's the horror coming in? Because that's going to really distract you from all those things Jonathan was just talking about. Yeah, this to me is on par with something like Boys in the Trees. Absolutely, 100%, except Canadian instead of Australian. So y'all are hopefully going to give me a lot of Canadian education today. (laughs) (laughs) They talk about Fogo like it's something that everyone should know. And I was like, I've never heard of Fogo. I, to be honest, I'd never heard about it either. So no, that so one thing that we should note because uh, Jono and I are like I grew up out west. Jono, you grew up in Ontario. This film is set in Newfoundland and Labrador, which is like the farthest east coast that you can get in Canada. And most Canadians have not been there and will never go there. Why is that? It's expensive to get to, and often if you're not going for the kind of natural geography, like. There's Viking settlements there, and they've got really pretty row houses, but it's just a place that most Canadians are like, oh, why would I ever go there? There's nothing up there. Yeah, being in Canada, it's always really really expensive to travel within Canada. Like, I remember Mm -hmm. growing up, like, people would always go to Europe because it was cheaper to go to Europe than to, like, anywhere, anywhere in Canada, which was so wild. Mm-hmm. So. It's literally cheaper for me to go to the UK than it is to go to Vancouver. What? Okay. Is that why you train so much or are trains still expensive too? I mean, trains are just like a relaxing way for me to travel personally. That's why I like them. They also make me <laughs> feel like it's an old school kind of, I don't know, I feel fancy. <laughs> I wish the US had a better like train system. Like growing up in Texas, the only trains that I saw were like cargo trains that had like dirt and gravel in them. Yeah, the trains, I will say the trains in being in America, uh, in the States, they are a little worse than what they are in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, but it's the truth. Welcome to your new podcast, Train Queers. (laughs) (laughs) God, and mass exodus. Out, 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 out. Okay, well, I don't have a ton of production history for this because, um, but it's more so about where the concept for this film came from. So, Closet Monster is Stephen Dunn's feature directorial debut, and the origin for the for the film comes from his own personal history. So, Joe, that hate crime that you mentioned uh, that opens the film was loosely based on a real hate crime that happened behind the graveyard in his school when he was growing up in Newfoundland. The event was so disturbing, it had an extremely suffocating effect on his sexuality understandably, instilling Mm -hmm. a fear in him that became linked to his sexuality and ultimately became a fear of himself. And the term for this, as I think a lot of us probably know, is internalized homophobia. Now the party's getting started. Oh my god. And yeah, I feel like this is something we've, we've discussed, like, when we've seen it incorporate, when we've just, like, talked about our own experiences, but I don't know if we've really discussed a film that explicitly deals with internalized homophobia. Nothing comes to mind. Like, I've seen people describe this film as a coming of age, and I think that that's appropriate as well, but... 
yeah, it's it's one of those things where we often see it in characters. Like, I think I made the argument that Carter in Final Destination was an example of, like, internalized homophobia. Oh, well, that, that's the bully angle, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I think there's something, like, in Midnight Kiss where we can see elements of that in characters. But again, the film isn't really about their internalized homophobia. Right. It's not the thesis statement. Yes. <laughs> but th- that feeling is something that's very difficult to articulate for a lot of gay men. Um, and so Dunn dealt with a lot of self-hatred when he was growing up. Uh, he went to school with an ulcer every day because he was so afraid. So we wanted to make a film about overcoming that. And Oscar's internalized homophobia, Oscar being the main character in Closet Monster, um, manifests into an ulcer, a bulge, and essentially an alien that he must remove from his body in order to heal, in order to love himself. And that is where the idea for Closet Monster actually came from, in addition to (laughs) the aforementioned hate crime. Um, The body horror elements evolved pretty organically. Uh, Dunn wanted to visually and psychologically interpret the feelings of internalized homophobia in a way that could be physically overcome. Even the score by the way, is composed of metal. It's flipped backwards, slowed down, and sped up, and it's manipulated in many different ways and stretched around to echo the haunting of this hate crime because, um, everyone, the hate crime does involve a metal rod. Everything I read said that it was impaling the survivor. Actually, is is he a survivor of this hate crime? We don't even know, do we? He is, yeah. We learned that he's been paralyzed from the waist down. Got it. But it, okay, impaled would imply like i'm thinking like again like through the stomach like what happens to oscar in this film but is it more of a rape yep that's what i that's understood how i always took it that's yeah. how i took it too okay yeah so that's why we have a lot of metal uh sounds in this movie because that uh the metal rod is just <laughs> haunting oscar from beginning to end on a slightly more positive note uh similarly when recalling his own experience of coming out dunn recalled a feeling of exhaustion and pain like ripping off a really horrible band-aid on a really hairy part of your skin uh it's painful to come out but after he did it he felt empowered And it was literally like ripping a part of himself out of his body. So he wanted to make a film about that one image and tell it in a surreal body horror, magic, realist kind of way. And that's a lot of descriptors for this film, but they're all very apt. Yeah, I would agree. But yeah, so, you know, this is all about Oscar releasing himself from fear. So the, um, and the direct quote from Don, he goes on to say, the pain of coming out and accepting who you are is very powerful, but there's nothing more liberating than the moments afterward when you can finally be yourself. And I think that's something we can all relate to. The film was shot primarily in St. John's, a city in Newfoundland, with an additional scene shot on Fogo Island and is a rhombus media and best boy entertainment production. Uh, it was distributed by Elevation Pictures in Canada with Fortissimo Films handling international sales. And while it did the festival circuit for most of 2015, um, it did win the award for Best Canadian Feature Film at uh, the 2015 TIFF. Mm-hmm. In December, the film was announced as part of TIFF's annual Canada's Top 10 screening series of the 10 Best Canadian Films of the Year. It also won the award for Best Canadian Film at the 2016 Inside Out Film and Video Festival. Reception was fairly positive. We've got an approval rating of 82% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 6.8 out of 10, an 81 out of 100 on Metacritic, and Letterboxd users have given it a 7.2 out of 10. Hmm. That seems low, personally. Well, to me, it was the average on Rotten Tomatoes, because, you know, it's like 82% of Rotten Tomatoes, but the average of those reviews is 6.8 out of 10. So that was really low for me. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder, though, because, um, I mean, this film didn't, I mean, it didn't get a wide release. I mean, I think it opened in a handful of theaters, and this would have been in September of 2016. But uh, 
I mean, I think it mostly just kind of found its audience, if any, really. Because I feel like I don't see a lot of people talk about this. But, Joe, I mean, if you remember when we were doing our live show at Fantastic Fest back in 2019 with Mark Patton, he wanted to talk about this movie specifically. Yeah, I think the people who like it like it a lot. Like, it has its staunch defenders. But overall, I don't know that this is on a ton of people's radars. Yeah, I don't think I've talked to anybody about this before. Well, hopefully we will change that today. Everyone go watch Closet Monster. <laughs> but uh, okay, well, that's really all I have. So let's go into the nitty gritty of this film, huh? Okay, so we begin with a musical sequence that basically features... It's not quite a montage, but it's a a random selection of scenes of young Oscar at age eight. He's played by Jack Fulton, and he's playing with his dad, Peter, who is played by Aaron Abrams. And we end this with an interaction when Peter is tucking him into bed and Oscar asks him to give him a bedtime dream. And this involves a balloon and an explanation that it's going to be scary, but not too scary. And... I'm I'm going to note a bunch of times where Peter says something, and I think for non-queer viewers, it might not be, like, the most illuminating thing. Like, it, you might just dismiss it, but something like, in the dream, young Oscar will be surrounded by sexy ladies. <laughs> if you're a queer person or a queer boy, you hear that, and unless you are bisexual or straight, you're immediately like... I don't like sexy ladies, so that doesn't appeal to me. And it's like just one of those very many things that Peter will say that is just not good for a queer son. Interesting. I mean, okay, we'll, we'll start into this right now. I, well, for, mm -hmm. And Joe, I know we've kind of talked about this before. So Jonathan, let's start with you. Jonathan, when did you realize you were gay? Um, So I realized pretty young, but I didn't really, like back then, like nobody really talked about it. So I didn't have a word for it. But I do mm. remember feeling very different and being like somewhat attracted to boys and like I had girlfriends but mm -hmm. it was always like you're my best friend this week so we're gonna go out <laughs> uh yep. so it, yeah I, I think like until like I <laughs> I always laugh because I found the word out when I was watching Ricky Lake <laughs> is that oh, okay. Ricky like <laughs> they were talking about it and said like this guy's gay and I was like oh that's what I am like that's how I figured it out but I was like yeah around nine nine ten years old see I, I didn't really come to term i didn't i was always made fun of for being gay like for as, as early as i can remember like starting elementary school um but i never thought i was because i loved girls i loved hanging out with girls i loved being around girls but i was also was a late bloomer with puberty and i was also i guess kind of late learning what sex was i didn't get the talk from my parents until i was in fifth grade so i would have been 11 when i found out what sex was and i didn't I truly always assumed I was straight because I liked the company of girls. And it wasn't really until I started masturbating that I, I learned. I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I definitely do not am not sexually attracted to uh, to people that identify as female. And therein lies the rub, right? Like, it's you learn that so many gay men like the company of women. Like, we honestly often prefer the company of women because mm -hmm. we don't have to worry about getting beaten up or being misunderstood by other boys but there's no sexual attraction which is usually what kind of denotes that that puberty barrier right where when you start to get interested in people you start to masturbate you start to have like dirty thoughts 
it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I never think of any of the girlfriends that I have. Yeah, I would say, Joe, for what you're saying also in terms of like the reading of this scene and the, that kind of like the few instances where he talks like this or says things like this. For me, like, mm-hmm. definitely, I picked up on it. I think when you're a young boy, like, I remember distinctly my dad saying things like this uh, to me as, like, because I was his only son. And they do stick with you. I mean, these are core memories for me of, like, my dad joking about a big back seat for my dates uh, and things like that. And me thinking, like, I don't think he understands who I am, right? And not being able mm-hmm. to be seen. Uh, and that's one of the things that I really loved about this movie, the way he interweaves this kind of hetero- heteronormativity that like goes kind of unchecked. Yeah. Yeah. The default assumption that you are raising mm-hmm. a heterosexual child. Yeah. But at the same time, though, I think it's so important that we start this, the, the movie with something like this, because, again, these are all happy memories. Uh, outside of these things that we're, we as queer viewers are picking up, these are happy mm-hmm. memories that Oscar is sharing with his father. And... I think it also sets up a movie where you think the father might even be supportive of Oscar if you know this is right. a coming out story going into it. And I think it's important that we see how uh, harmonious their relationship is at first to see how quickly mm-hmm. that can just be thrown up the shitter when a father thinks his son might be gay. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I really paid attention to this time around was is Peter a villain in this film? And mm-hmm. I think he does some really horrible fucking things, like particularly in the last act when he gets inc- like violent. But it's not the traditional, very like tropey masculine dad where like Aaron Abrams is not a big dude. He's not like super physically imposing. He never beats Oscar. Like it's a very different kind of perspective where I think we can understand and even empathize with Peter and what he's going through. It's just that he expresses it in the wrong way all the time. See, this is like typical, like just like you're typical bully to me right like he is a bully he's a mean person because of his own insecurities yeah i would say i i agree but i also think there i mean (laughs) i found myself like i wanted to root for him like i was like i want Mm -hmm. you to do better like i like i he's a as much as like he's terrible there is a likability about him right because you do see how much he does actually love his he does love his son. I just don't think he understands his son. And that's that can be really difficult. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong. And, uh, uh, he never actually, I'm, I'm going to say it. He never actually calls his son a faggot. He does refer to the party as a faggot party, but he never calls his son that. And he constantly refers to his wife's new fiance as queer. But he never uses that language directly against Oscar, does he? Nope. Okay, see, I mean, not that that makes it better, (laughs) but I think it's an important (laughs) distinction to make humanizing this character. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Like, I think it's a very deliberate choice. Like, if nothing else, so much of this movie rings true to me because of the careful use of language. And Mm. it's something we'll bring up, I think, time and time again. But yeah, like, Peter has a tendency to use very triggering, very loaded words but the screenplay like Dunn's work here on the movie is very careful not to paint Peter as like a homophobic bully. He has bullying tendencies. He 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 clearly uses antagonistic and even inflammatory language because he is angry at Bryn's new partner. And it's like, well, what's an easy kind of low hanging fruit target? Okay, well, let's go with queer. Yeah. 
Okay. So uh, we get the title card, and then we see Oscar being given a hamster by Peter, and this is more or less a distraction technique. So Peter is also immediately painted as very juvenile because he's already trying to win his son's love in the face of an impending divorce. So uh, he tries to make Bryn, that is Oscar's mother, played by Joanne Kelly, out to be the villain she's the one who's leaving she's the one who's abandoning them this is something i do wish the movie had done more of because i honestly like i am so angry at brand for most of this movie what? and even though really because she does leave him <laughs> she leaves him <laughs> with this asshole child man it is shocking. I think it's actually very confronting to see a mother leaving her child. Like, we have every assumption that Oscar still goes to stay with her every two weeks because throughout the film we'll see him collecting his things and, like, coming back from her house. But I think the movie is also very careful to not show it too much, so we're very aware that he is stuck living with Peter under this kind of, like, cloud of toxicity. Yeah, I, I gotta say that's... I would say that it's the one thing in this movie that I felt was kind of like lacking is that the character seems very underwritten and that relationship felt a little underwritten to me because I do like I, I agree like there were par there were parts of me that I was like like I was mad at her for leaving and she does come off I think to some as a villain because she does leave and like even in a later scene where she talks about i had to leave like okay but did you have to leave your son there like couldn't you because hmm. well, she says i i had to make a lot of very tough decisions and yeah. again that's kind of a blanket statement so i get it but in the what 18 years since or i guess what 15 years let's say since since you've left them you haven't seen the way that this man has treated your child yeah i wonder too is this because most of the film is kind of focalized through Oscar's perspective and he was made to believe that she is the villain by Peter? So as a result, the movie sees her in that role? Ooh, I do like that, actually. And that, that's entirely possible. Because we, I'm trying to think, do we ever get scenes where... Like, basically, Oscar is in this entire movie. We don't really get scenes that are outside of his perspective, right? Uh, we do uh, when the dad meets, like, the friend at that grocery store parking lot. That is correct. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so there's a couple of instances where Peter, <laughs> we do get to yeah. see Peter by himself. Nevertheless, yeah. I mean, neither one of these parents are going to win Parent of the Year in any kind of, like, <laughs> award ceremony. No. But it, it's just a thing where, I mean, I, I agree, Joe, you're right. We're seeing most of this through Oscar's POV, and a lot of his opinions of his mother are probably filtered through what his father has been telling him for his entire life. But it's just mm -hmm. a thing where it's like, I kind of wish there was more of a... We, we get the conversation between Oscar and his mother later, but I wish it... I don't know. I wish it was more. I, I wish he held her more accountable for, it, especially when we see that she not only has mm. a new man, but a new whole entire fucking family of kids. Yeah, I like I wanted to know what that those relationships were like. Like they're literally mm -hmm. almost like extras, these people. And it's like, yes. mm -hmm. I feel like they're not extras in his life. So like, I want to know, like, tell me more about that. I feel like it could have been a little bit more fleshed out well yeah like, like was his who's the man who's going to be his stepfather was there was there no relationship because we never see them interact at all yeah the closest we get is when he wakes up near the very end of the yeah. film after he's blacked out and it's just like uh, get the brady bunch out of this room yeah so let, let's get him some food there you go you're a good person <laughs> 
Okay, so young Oscar takes this hamster who will eventually be named Buffy and is, yes, voiced by Isabella Rossellini. And what I have to believe is a casting decision partially informed by Isabella Rossellini's, like, web series green porno where she would discuss the sex lives of various animals. I, I have the backstory for this, actually. So um, this is Perdon, by the way. But he says, in the script stage, Buffy the Hamster was supposed to be voiced by the robotic iPhone Siri voice. Oh, gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when they began assembling the film, they found that while it was very funny, the maternal aspects of the character were not coming through. Oscar's hamster began speaking just as his feelings of abandonment set in following the announcement of his parents' divorce. So it was important that Buffy become somewhat of a maternal figure for him. And so Dunn got the idea to approach her while he was rewatching her series Green Porno, a brilliant Sundance series about the sexual reproduction of animals where she plays every animal and... In one episode, she plays a hamster. Um, They had Hmm. no money at the time, but with their executive producer, Niv Fitchman, they approached her, hat in hand, sent her a rough cut of the film, and to their luck, she agreed almost instantly. Yeah, I guess that would be a possibility. It never occurred to me that she would be brought in after the filming had already concluded, but since it's voice work, you you just have to line up with the hamster. Yeah. (laughs) And there's no mouth movements. Like the ADR isn't like really vital to match the lips of the hamster. <laughs> we gotta go big. We gotta go Disney. Who's available? Get me Isabella Rossellini. There is a split second shot of this hamster yawning towards the end of the film, and it is one of mm-hmm. the most terrifying things I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> I think this thing is adorable. <laughs> Go YouTube hamster yawning and tell me it's not terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did you never have a hamster when you were younger? Uh, I I, I didn't personally have one. Like, we had some in school, but I don't think... I've never seen a hamster yawn, I guess, in my life. (laughs) (laughs) It's the creature feature we never knew we wanted. (laughs) There you go. Basically. Oh, my God. We haven't had a killer hamster movie, so... Zom, oh, can't do zom hamsters. I guess it doesn't really sound very good, but you know, zomsters. <laughs> Cocaine hamsters. <laughs> okay, so yes, Buffy does begin offering comfort. And uh, it, I think one of the most uncomfortable scenes, I imagine it really resonates for children of divorce, uh, watching Oscar try to sabotage his mother from leaving. So, you know, he, he takes off one of the heels of her high-heeled shoes. He grabs her and he refuses to let her go. He spits in her face when she tries to give him a hug. Yeah. I was happy we did not have her slap him in this moment because I feel Mm. like that. I I was waiting for that to happen. I mean, to me, the more telling piece of this is actually Peter's reaction. It's kind of split second, but you can see him laugh and he doesn't punish Oscar for it. So you can tell he's actually glad she just got spat on. Yeah, it's a weird scene. It's it's like a rough scene. I mean, that whole sequence of from the table to the bedroom to like his mom actually leaving. uh, It's pretty uncomfortable. But it it is made worse by watching that dad's reaction because it it just goes to show how childish he is and how he really isn't fit to be a parent. And also how that mother should have, you know, taken her child with her (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i contemplated about whether peter's behavior is abusive in this film and i think i settled on yes like there's a lot of emotional abuse it's just we're so used to seeing physical domestic abuse in movies and particularly when it's around like 
queer children, right? Like there's the threat of physical violence, which is in this movie. But I would argue the emotional violence that's being inflicted on Oscar is as bad as what he sees in that cemetery. Yeah, but I think what makes it not less bad, that's not what I'm trying to say, but less frustrating for me is that he's an idiot. <laughs> like, he isn't smart in his emotional abuse or emotional manipulation. Like, everything he's doing, you're like, well, this is why you're doing this. Like, it is literally a man-child. There's nothing sneaky about anything he's doing. It's so petulant. Yeah, I mean, I would say he's like, uh, he's, he's, I mean, he's a pathetic character. <laughs> I yes, would say right. like he there's a sadness to him which I think that's why I was like rooting for him because uh he does present uh there are great qualities but I I do think he is emotionally abusive he's emotionally uh, stunted yeah yeah towards his wife his ex-wife and his son so what you want our listeners to take away from you from this episode is that homophobes <laughs> are good <laughs> my god phrase whereas i was just like oh jono has a kink for like sad pathetic men <laughs> <laughs> don't tell my husband <laughs> he doesn't need to know homophobes good yeah. says gay man <laughs> yeah, take the scroll on the bottom of the news feed <laughs> get me fox news let's, let's <laughs> i mean they would eat that shit up poster child right there i think why i root for him is that he remind like my dad is not that bad but there are aspects to this character that remind me of my dad when i was younger it's this dude mm -hmm. that doesn't understand or doesn't even contemplate having a gay child and really trying to harp on this kind of heterosexual kind of life. So there was a lot that I was like, oh, God, that's just bringing me back. Um, of course, when mm -hmm. it got really bad, I was like, uh, dude, whoa, <laughs> cool. I, I was <laughs> um, I was really fortunate because while well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say either one of my parents handled my coming out well, I don't think either one of them handled it like. It, it was not the worst experience I could have ever had. And my dad's reaction was more so a, he didn't want me to get hurt. It was never a, I've, I wanted you to be with a woman. My mom's reaction was very much stemming from her devout, not devout, I'm sorry, but like her, her Catholicism. Like, you know, she was raised very Catholic at the time. So it was never out of a desire for me to have a heteronormative lifestyle or, oh, no, we're not going to have grandchildren. It was, I don't want you to get hurt. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to go to hell. And while those are very good it's not, not good, but like they're well-meaning thoughts. Still harmful. Well, yes, they manifested themselves in negative ways um, in my teenage years after I came out to them. That took years for me to get over. Yeah, I mean, this is tricky because we've talked before about how parents need to be mindful of language that they're using around their kids. And I don't, I don't ever want someone to listen to the podcast and be like, oh, my God, I can't say anything because I might be hurting my children with what I say inadvertently. Like, I don't want to scar them. The reality is, is we all get scarred by our parents and then we, you know, repeat the cycle later on with other people. It's just there are certain loaded terms that I sometimes think that people who are not queer don't even understand the ramifications like you're saying one thing and your queer child is hearing something completely different so i've said this before in the show but uh, it's it really goes back to what you were saying earlier with what peter was saying with his child you know how queer listeners are going to like you know 
hear that differently. It's going to stick with them as they get older. And the one example for me I always think about, I didn't know how gay people had sex, gay men had sex. And I was watching an episode of ER with my family. I was, I didn't know I was gay yet. Um, I was probably like 11 or 12 years old. And in the episode of ER, there was a gay couple. And I think it was about, surely about AIDS. And they were talking about gay sex. And I remember asking my parents who were watching it with me, oh, how do gay men have sex? And my mom's reaction was, ugh, it's disgusting. Don't ask about it. And that simple one second answer stuck with me for a, years, 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 years and years. Yeah, I remember when I came out, I came out very late to my parents. It was between first year and second year university. And my mother was trying to be supportive. I later found out that uh, my dad was actually like more okay with it. He just in true dad fashion said nothing. And my mom was like overcompensating trying to be supportive. But we were just like randomly walking through the mall. We saw this young queer couple. And my mom just looked at me and she was like, I just don't want you to get AIDS. Oh, <laughs> sorry. It's not funny, but <laughs> no, it's like, it's kind of funny because you're just like, Jesus Christ, mom. Also, let's maybe get informed a little, shall we? My mom had the same reaction. Really? Yeah. When I came out, I, you know, what's funny is that my mom is the same way. She like tries to overcompensate. Um, and so she asked me if I was gay. She's the one that kind of, she didn't like force me, but she like, <clears throat> it came about by her kind of asking questions um right. but once i told her you know we hugged and she told me she loved me blah 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 but then <laughs> i remember very distinctly saying or saying just don't ever tell me you have aids but wait i'm sorry so uh, uh, hypothetically if you mm -hmm. had gotten aids <laughs> you're just supposed to keep that a secret from your mother and never tell her i mean i don't know i think she probably would have i would have been able to tell her but i think uh, yeah, this is this was like 1996. This is like there, we're still seeing a lot of characters on TV that are dying of AIDS yeah. that are queer. She had also had it like when I was born, she had a tr blood transfusion in 1980. So she went through the 80s having to get tested Ooh. for AIDS uh, or HIV, excuse me. Like, so she, like, I think it was more visceral for her when she, like, said it, um, because she had gone through it. And she, that's all right. she saw of gay people, is, like, these gay men dying of AIDS. And then she had gone through the scare. I don't think I could have not told her. And, like, yeah. years later, mm -hmm. an ex-boyfriend of mine uh, became HIV positive and told them. Uh, and she was very, kind of, like, supportive of him. But, yeah, I mean, but it is one of those things that I will, I think, always remember. Because it's just, I think... As you were saying, Trace, also, like, that was the representation we were also seeing at the time. So for me, yes. like, I spent a lot of years, like, I used to hate going to get tested because it was kind of like, it felt like this kind of, like, ine inevitability. The, the the first time, so I was so afraid to have sex with my very first boyfriend, I would have been, like, 16 at the time. Because based on what I had seen in media about gay people and AIDS, I thought AIDS... HIV was something that literally was born from gay sex. So me literally having anal sex with a man would give me AIDS. Not that you had to already, that you had to have sex with someone with HIV to get HIV. So again, American <laughs> sex education system sucks, but also that's a horrible <laughs> way to think. Like literally like, oh, yeah. if I just have sex with somebody, a person of the same sex, I'm going to get AIDS. And that's obviously not, not how it works, but that is how teenage Trace thought.
Well, and I think this is why it becomes so important to recognize the power of media. Like, conservatives love to wield it as a weapon whenever there's things like school shootings and say, like, oh, well, we should blame The Matrix or Marilyn Manson or video games or something. But the reality is, it's like, if we just think about the representation of AIDS in the media, like popular media throughout the 80s and into the 90s, mm-hmm. there's entire generations of us who didn't really even live through that, whose lives were demonstrably affected because of the way it shaped our parents' conceptions around homosexuality. Yeah, and the thing is, like, growing up queer, uh, especially, like, people of our generation, you're growing up in a place that does not know you and can be very hostile towards you. For just right. being who mm-hmm. you are. And so where you're seeing that representation, where you're seeing actually education from anything, if you're getting any, is through that representation in the media. Um, and it can yeah. be really great, but it can also definitely warp your mind in some ways, as yeah. we've mm-hmm. all experienced. So, I mean, and that's what I think this, to, to bring us back to the film, I think that's what this film does a really good job of doing, is showing how things that we hear or see when we are very mm-hmm. very young how they will stick with us because it's not even just the hate crime it's the thing with the nails that resurfaces uh as the film in the in the party scene of the film yeah so we'll skip over the fact like peter's an asshole he leaves Bryn's shit out on the lawn because he's petty and he's juvenile and then we jump ahead to oscar going to school and yes so there is a girl named anna who is played in one scene by Gingy dawson fucking hate this character i want to punch her in the face because uh, <laughs> this yeah, child she... <laughs> gay man promotes child abuse <laughs> <laughs> it's on the fox news <laughs> ticker gay man wants to punch young child um yeah so she performs what i call in my notes a gay test on oscar yep. so tracy and i have definitely talked about this before i think you got the nails i got the gum on your shoe and whether you lift it in front of you or in uh or if you like lift your leg behind you but uh this is very much one of those bullshit old wives tales that if you do it wrong well that must mean that you're gonna grow up to be gay also the claw is such an unattractive way to look at your fingers i mean like the the gay way to do it (laughs) is the right way i'm sorry (laughs) yeah i mean you know it's i just did it myself i was like yeah it is kind of weird to like look at you (laughs) like yeah (laughs) as a claw like why would you not put out your hand yeah yeah it's it's a weird yeah like i want to see i want to see how my nails look with my entire hand it doesn't make sense to flip the hand to the claw because it's the palm of your anyway i'm sorry i'm getting into aesthetics but (laughs) it doesn't make any sense (laughs) look we're just saying the gay way is the right way fox news ticker the gay way is the right way what was the other one it was the ear right because if you get your ear your right ear pierced that's the gay side which is weird because it's the right ear the left side is the straight side that was such a weird thing when i was (laughs) first heard that i was like yes who made this rule where does this even come from yeah seriously (laughs) some child some man child or yeah like ridiculous teenagers or fox news or fox news yeah so um so this is kind of like a gentle primer for like what homophobia looks like in everyday life and then we get to see it represented as violence with a hate crime so after school oscar overhears a commotion he ends up following a group of people i think this is so carefully shot and edited the violence is not on screen but we know exactly what is happening even if we may disagree with where the rebar goes simply the shot of blood dripping off of it is Mm -hmm. fucking traumatizing it's 
God. Ugh, God. Yeah. It, it hurts to look at, even though, as you say, it's not explicit in any shape. And this film is not rated. Like, it doesn't have an MPA rating. I feel like it might, might be able to get away with a PG-13. The sex scene at the party later might put that into question. Right. But, I don't know. Well, because <laughs> it is gay sex. It is gay sex. <laughs> with teenagers. <laughs> We all know how the MPA feels about that. But again, that's also shot in a way where it's like, I mean, like, you know they're fucking, but it's not, like, super explicit. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I do love, though, I mean, to continue our Buffy trajectory here, that he is, uh, he holds a wooden stake uh, as, like, protection when he's following these people. Yeah, I did love that. I mean, the fact that the, the hamster's named Buffy, but then uh, having that kid with a wooden stake, which, again, comes back later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting because you're watching it and you... You see this poor little boy, like, trying to be brave, but, like, completely helpless. Um, I think the parallels between this and Buffy are pretty, and they're not just in the hamster and the steak, but it's like, you know, Buffy was, it used monsters and demons as a metaphor for high school and eventually becoming, going to college and becoming an adult. And so this film uses that, that the, the body horror metaphor for internalized homophobia. So I, I think on that level, like, there are more similarities just beyond the explicit references. Well, I think that too, you can even extrapolate it out to Oscar's adult interest in makeup and monsters, yeah. right? Like, it's a very queer kid kind of interest, but also he's he's funneling his his immature fears as a young boy into his creative process as a way to overcome it even if i think he's doing it like not even understanding what he's trying to conquer right so hearkening back to our conversation about parents saying things that they maybe don't intend for them to be taken that way uh that night when oscar goes home he he does see his father is crying because he's upset about the divorce i think this is the pathetic figure you were talking about jono very clearly on display but they watch a news report as oscar tries to like comfort his adult father and we see the hate crime this is where we briefly hear that the boy is still alive but he's paralyzed from the waist down which is just like extra horrifying like this idea that that is how bad that attack was and then when oscar asks his father why did that happen peter says it happened because the boy was gay and that's why oscar needs to get rid of his longer hair oh i'm sorry wait i'm but the, the, the flippant way to which he replies to this he just goes well he's gay and, mm -hmm. <laughs> as if like yeah he, he deserved it, it. <laughs> yep yeah I mean, it's that, it's that, and then the follow-up of him telling him it's, you know, like, mentioning that kid's hair. I was like, oh, God, mm -hmm. bad parenting, like, this is so bad. Well, and then we, we immediately cut to child Oscar cutting off all of his hair, which is also yeah. cross-cut with his dad building the treehouse. So it's like, again, mm -hmm. getting rid of the gayness, adding straightness, building this treehouse. Yeah, and, and it's it's interesting, right, because initially in my notes i wrote and you know they build this really shitty lo-fi kind of treehouse it's not this treehouse is actually really impressive which suggests to us that you know peter has skills like he could be doing things in a helpful way like this isn't necessarily a, a masculine enterprise right but even the sheer act of building something that could be helpful and offer refuge for a child who needs their own space or or somewhere to like build their imagination it instead turns into oh you can't climb this rope you're a wimp yeah i, I think there's like this undercurrent of masculinity and like it's kind of like looming uh, and this is kind of like where we start to see it with 
building this treehouse and then where Oscar works later. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) we can talk about that later. But but yeah, like none of the I I would say like none of the characters, none of the men um, really read off as this like typical masculine kind of like which oftentimes whenever you see these kinds of movies, there's always this very kind of macho character, right? It's, It's very red as like, this is the masculine guy. This is what we're looking for. None of these characters have that, not even the dad. So it's interesting to... to... Yeah, like remake this movie with Dave Batista as the father <laughs> and you get more of what we're kind of conventionally expecting. Yeah. But I think a, a lot of the dad's homophobia, and maybe I'm being too nice to him here, but I think a lot of it comes from not from... I, I don't always think he's actually homophobic because I think that the issue is that he feels emasculated because his mm-hmm. wife left him, that then he... The, 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 the closest parallel to like, I have to lash out at something besides just my whore wife, which I think is what he calls her at some point yep is to to make fun of feminine men because mm-hmm. i feel emasculated so it, it, it's a textbook example of this type of shit yeah so the way that we transition from childhood to adulthood so we'll jump ahead 10 years i love this transition where young oscar falls off the rope and when he lands now he's suddenly played by connor jessup as an 18 year old connor jessup was not out when this movie was released right he was not. No. So he came out later, I think, in between seasons of shooting Lock and Key. Oh, shit. So it's like relatively recent then. Yeah, I think it's like within the last like five or six years. But I like I have to imagine that this movie and being around Stephen Dunn, who is himself a queer man, in case people don't know, Stephen Dunn also did the one and only season of the remake of Queer's Folk. So if you want to see a kind of like transition to accepting yourself and then like being fucking proud of yourself and your community, uh, highly encourage that watch. Oh, but that's interesting. I mean, so have you seen that entire season, Joe? I haven't. It's really good. There's like okay. weaknesses in some of the storytelling, but the range of characters and the kinds of stories that they're telling are very interesting. I just, um, because it's interesting that both this and that are kind of born out of tragedies because that doesn't that show also kind of recreate the uh, the pulse shooting from Orlando? It does. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I'm not saying that's bad or anything. I'm just saying it's interesting that these two films that kind of well, sorry, one film, one show that leads towards acceptance and positivity and whatever, were both born out of, you know, horrific events, which isn't uncommon for us queers. Yeah, I mean, I think you find that a lot in queer films, is that there's always an element of violence uh, somewhere. Yeah, because we can't get away from it. What? Oh my god, no, we have the best life ever. Don't you know? We have all of our rights now. We're good. (laughs) That's true. We've got RuPaul Drag Race winning Emmys. Um, What more could we ask for? Oh, we can get married. Yep, that's it. That sky's the limit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Literally, as we record this episode, there's been like a wave of like anti-trans, anti-queer legislation getting passed. But yeah, no, things are peachy. Oh god, I'm saying this is like unrelated, but like I've been seeing like, all those Twitter pro- people sharing all those Twitter profiles going around of like gay men who were like LGB, leave out the T, and I'm like, what the. F- what the fuck is this i know blast those people into the fucking sun you are not a member of the queer community if you don't support our trans friends it's so bizarre i would recommend that you don't share or even like screenshot those people's tweets because by doing so you were only giving them more publicity Mm -hmm. but i digress (sighs) okay so oscar is now an adult and he's into movies and makeup 
And he's using his bestie, Gemma, who is played by Sophia Banzaf, to build a portfolio because he is already planning an escape. I think the important aspect of this is they want to go to New York. And for kids who are growing up in such an isolated small community in like Newfoundland, this Mm -hmm. would be a huge escape. Like it, it would be difficult to... I mean, I don't want to speak for small communities or like rural communities, but, you know, they're not going to get the level of acceptance that they're maybe looking for from a big city and definitely not somewhere like New York. Well, that's what I was going to say. What y'all were saying earlier about this area that y'all don't even really frequent or have ever been to is like, okay, I, there's one thing about, oh, I have to escape this small town. But this isn't just a small town. This is a small town on like, it seems like the edge of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. it's pretty remote i mean yeah it's, it's not. <laughs> i mean I, I i grew up in ottawa which is a pretty big city in canada but even i was like i need to get out of here like this is not the city for me like i need to go to like toronto montreal i'm new york and so mm-hmm. i think there's just this need to go to a big metropolis because you do there is a sense of safety there and acceptance yeah mm-hmm. so let's briefly talk about Gemma here because there's a lot of visual signifiers that she knows and understands that Oscar is queer. She's obviously very in love with him. Hence the reason why she wants him to come to New York and live in her garbage chute, uh, spare bedroom. (laughs) But like she even tries to kiss him and it's obviously not reciprocated. And then she feels embarrassed, but this I don't know, like this to me rang so true to my experiences with girls where like they fall in love with you because you're actually non-threatening and non-sexual. <laughs> they try to make it happen and you're I'm just sorry, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Joe, um, <laughs> do you have a lot of girls falling in love with you in your teenage years? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I went to two proms, Trace. That's what I I'm saying. I went to three proms. <laughs> Whoa. Case rested fox news ticker says gay boys take girls to prom hey the girl that i went to prom with my senior year of high school was absolutely one of the best ladies at my wedding and did you put out no i did i no (laughs) i've never (laughs) fucked any of these women (laughs) but by that time they knew i was gay oh but you came out later that makes sense Mm mm-hmm but I'm curious, like, do you to believe that Gemma knows this about Oscar and she's just kind of trying to test it? Like, can we make it happen? I don't know. 100%. I think I, I have also had that experience of, like, being friends with a girl, but, like, that definitely feeling that she had feelings. And I remember, like, mm-hmm. having a conversation with her, like, a year or two later, and she was, her friend was telling her that she, that I just needed to have sex with her, and I would figure out that oh, I was no. straight. Yeah, we never oh, did. I, mean, I, I, I never did. But there was certainly that kind of like, I, I remember, and it makes you a little uncomfortable, because you feel there's a guilt there. Like you, not a guilt, but like there's a feeling of like, I know how you're feeling, I just want to be friends, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, like it it definitely rang true. I think Jim is a fascinating character because, yes, I, I, I do think she has an inkling of Oscar's sexual proclivities, but I think the kiss is her test. Like that, that, That's like the one where she's mm-hmm. like, okay, I get it now. Because honestly, the way that she handles all of this, like she, she doesn't really come across. She feels hurt in this film when Oscar actually right. hurts her, which is understandable. 
but it's a- but after this kiss, it's like her like okay, yeah, he's probably gay because we never like mm-hmm. the, the moments when she interacts with the father. Those are the most interesting moments of the film for me. Yeah, which is basically where we're at. Like, you know, she she kind of says, "Okay, it's obviously not happening," and they they make some plans, and then we kind of cut to her leaving the house later, and Peter, ever the juvenile, sprays her with the hose, and. It's interesting because it feels like something where he's like, oh, there's my son's girlfriend. I'm going to be the cool dad. I'm going to spray her. But there's also something kind of weirdly sexual about it where, like, he's trying to prove his virility with, like, attractive women. Yeah, I I didn't think about that. But literally, like, mid-sentence for you, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like pedophilia. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I do do think... I don't know. I think a lot of men do that. Like they see their, their especially like the, I would assume this is probably the first girlfriend that like the dad thinks mm-hmm. Oscar has. And there's definitely like he catches them kissing, right? Like, and then he's like so happy about it. There's this pride that goes along with it. I definitely think there is an undercurrent of like flirtiness, which is kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the way that like a lot of <laughs> a lot of men are. <laughs> But he's so happy about it, though, which would imply that he has thought about the possibility of his son being gay before. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the other illuminating things is that, I don't know about you two, but after we come out, like, I did a lot of reflecting back and realizing, oh, there were all of these, like, giant billboard-sized pieces of evidence that I was so obviously gay. And (laughs) it's easier for me to to reminisce or or think back on it but you know i've asked my parents like were there times that you suspected and they were both like ashamed to say yes because they didn't they didn't want to go there unless i said it but you could tell that they had thought it because of some of my mannerisms see i think that's pretty respectful when i told my parents i remember my mom literally said we are shocked but and you're just like how (laughs) <laughs> well uh, that that is what i said and years later like a decade later you know my mom had all of our home videos on vhs and she was copying them over to dvd but to do so she had to like watch them or at least have them on while she was doing stuff around the house mm. and like 10 years later she told me she was like yeah i was watching all of our home videos and i'm looking at them and i'm like how did i not know and i was like that's what i that's what i tried to tell right. you when i was 16 <laughs> <laughs> even oh, I, uh, walk, walking with your arm like a little raised by your side with your hand kind of like flopping down i remember walking by my mom uh like that one day and she slapped my arm and goes don't do that only women and gay men walk like that and again that's something that stuck with me forever mm-hmm. to the point where even when i was in church like if i crossed my legs i was thinking to myself oh my god that's something that women do so i was like not wanting to cross my legs even though crossing my legs felt so natural to me yeah, it's like hide who you implicitly are, because yeah. I don't like the ramifications of what that could mean. Yeah, I always, I always think. I mean, my mom knew. Like, she asked me if I was, you know, if I was, if I liked boys. My dad had no idea, which is always so shocking to me because I was a very mm. effeminate boy. I had two older sisters. I hung out with them all the time. I painted my nails. I used right. to do fashion shows with them. I mean, I have a like core memory of doing a drag number at like six years yes. old for my dad and mom and their friends for, to Debbie Gibson's Out of the Blue. And like, he told me, he's like, I just never thought you were gay. I just, it never came into my like world, my kind of like expectation for you. 
he was like, I mean, when I came out, he was fine about it. But like, it was just so shocking to me that like, he had no idea. <laughs> and he's, yeah, but my mom totally knew she was waiting for me to come out. And then you like flash forward 10 years and it's like, welcome on the stage, Miss Vagisil. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And he has seen me in drag since then. So, you know, I guess there are. I think some parents will find will look at the clues and kind of like suspect and others will just kind of ignore it completely because either because they don't want to even think about it or they they just you know it doesn't come into their worldview like heteronormativity is like pretty strong we constantly assume people mm-hmm. are straight until they tell us otherwise um so if you're not thinking about that it's I think it can be pretty shocking I mean I was very gay guys like <laughs> I don't want to understate it here. Like I was, I mean, I was swishing around. Super duper gay. Yeah. Like I remember my cousin making fun of me because I also did that hand thing where I kind of like, you know, I had a floppy little wrist and I was teased mercilessly for it. So, and now here I am. I'm trying to think of the first time someone called me a fag. I think, like, I'm like how do kids even pick up on these words? I'm like, well, it's probably their parents. <laughs> yeah i mean it was definitely an elementary school i just can't remember like and i feel like that's something i should know the first time like that's something that momentous happened to me but maybe it's happened so many times since then that i forgot (laughs) i mean i literally had an incident identical to what happened with this um with this anna girl like i was over at my best friend's house and she just looked at me and she said you're gonna grow up and be gay I was like, I think probably 11 or 12. And I think I was a little bit more of where you were at, Jono, like early on, where I knew I was different, but I didn't know what that meant. And even hearing the word, like I was ashamed of it. And I remember like never wanting to interact with her ever again for fear that she would see it in me or that she would tell someone. Yeah. Yeah, there are things we do to like hide ourselves. I mean, I remember, I mean, I used to get called tapet, which is like the French word for faggot, real a lot when I was younger. That was like the one name. Mm-hmm. They also called me Gaylord, um, which always like I right. always loved. <laughs> I think yes, like, I am sound... a lord. Thank you. <laughs> right? It sounds regal. Like, yeah, is there a crown? Because uh, I will take it. No crowns, my queen. <laughs> Right, um, like some distinguished character on Game of Thrones. I don't know. Uh, I feel like we always we talk go. about um, like, like parents or talking about you know coming out stories. And like, I, 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 truthfully, most of my friends are really good about it because I was in theater, which sounds really cliche, but like most of them are really good. But I remember I'll mm. never forget doing. Um, it was in a government class, and we were doing like, a, oh, like what political, like a political spectrum test. You know, you answer all these questions like strongly agree, whatever, blah blah blah. Where do you fall on the political spectrum? And I remember there was a question on like, do you believe in same sex marriage? And one of my best, best girlfriends said no. And I remember just being like, what, 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 it it, it was a moment that forever tainted our friendship because I was like, right. What, what do you mean? No. And she was, I just don't think she was, I love it. It's something you should be able to get married to another person, the same sex. And I was like, and from that moment on, like our relationship was never the same again. Like that, that that was a relationship ruiner. Absolutely. Cut that person out of your life immediately. Yeah. But, but that was whenever I don't, cause because, because Jonathan, how long were you when you? Uh, how how long were you? How old were you when you came out officially? Like I guess to like your friends and family. Sixteen. Okay, so I was two, and 
I don't know if you had a lot of other people that were out around you at the same time, but I did not. At the time, there was only one other out gay man, and he was very effeminate, very flamboyant. So it sounds horrible to say, but he actually did get a lot of the flack from any of the potential bullies in high school because he was also the head host of the morning announcements. Oh my God, you love Victor Tim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it on I dated him. Um, but it, I made it up to him, I swear. I gave him head. I, I did give him head. This was the guy that I was afraid I was going to get AIDS from just from having sex with. <laughs> and you're just saying that because he was more flamboyant. You homophobe. I know. I'm such a homophobe. But, but, but I, 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 I truthfully, truthfully, like when, when, when my parents didn't have the best reaction to me coming up, my, my theater friends were really good about it. But, like, again, there were – I knew some people that were gay in the school who were not out. And the common reaction was, I don't want to lose all my friends. And, yeah. of course, my reaction is, as someone who was already out, because I was like, well, fuck you. Like, that's not fair. Like, I, I made the risk. I took the risk. Like, you should do it too, which is, of course, not fair of me to say. But it's a thing where it's like, yeah, everyone, hey, if you're afraid of losing friends because you're coming out, then those people probably aren't your friends if they actually stop being your friend. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would say I, I would probably have come out sooner, but we moved to Stratford, Ontario when I was going oh into boy. grade nine, and I went to a school, St. Michael's, uh, which is, fun fact, where Justin Bieber went to high school. <laughs> Ooh. But oh. <laughs> um, I, I knew I was gay, but I was terrified because there was this cult, the very Catholic culture there. Ugh. And like, I, I had gone to Catholic school all my life, but it was French Catholic and French people are a little bit more lax with their Catholicism than this area. <laughs> the, the Roman the, Catholics. Like, <laughs> yeah. The, they, uh, I, like, I remember very vividly in a French immersion class, this guy, we were doing a, a verb exercise and you had to like conjugate a verb and come up with a sentence. And his sentence that he wrote on the board was, if I was king, I would kill all the homosexuals. And the teacher Holy didn't even flinch. Shit. The teacher just said, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That's well correct. Conjugate. Yeah. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, I can't come out here. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I waited. You're like, wait till you're safe. Gaylord is going to stay in the closet here. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I, 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 Again, I was raised pretty Catholic. We were not like, like, my mom was raised more devoutly Catholic because of where she grew up in Louisiana. Like, I was raised Catholic and I had to do all, like, the sacraments and shit. But it wasn't like, like, I wasn't in Catholic schools. Um, but I remember the the first time that I was really like, oh, fuck Catholicism, was when I learned in a Catholic children's education class in high school mm. that masturbating was a sin. <laughs> and I had never <laughs> know, I, I know one ever it. told me that. I'd never heard that. And I remember hearing, like, oh, yeah, masturbation is sin. And I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck this. I like to touch myself. I don't care. <laughs> like, hate me for being gay? That's fine. But tell me I can't masturbate? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Fox News ticker. Gays would rather touch themselves <laughs> than be gay. <laughs> <sighs> well, you know what's not gay? working in like a home, a home depot esque kind of place <laughs> i okay this place is my worst nightmare like I, I actually loathe like places like home depot and lowe's because the smell mm -hmm. of the wood is so overpowering oh, the smell no fuck you you're so straight <laughs> It, it is very straight, but also, I mean, like, don't take my sense of smell uh, for anything, because I was also the kid who, like, loved to go to the gas station. 
smell good? Uh, no, that's fine. I was too. Gasoline smells awesome. Wood does not smell awesome. <laughs> no, I love the smell of wood. <laughs> uh, y'all killing me. I love me. wood in general, guys. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Say wood again. <laughs> <laughs> title of the episode i love wood <laughs> so trace this character actress would not mean anything to you but of course to jono and i this is uh allison the boss is canadian mm -hmm. like comedic legend mary walsh who is famous for appearing on like improv sketch show this hour has 22 minutes okay Marsh. so i i, I it was so funny when I was pulling like my cheat sheet of like all these Canadian actors and I was like, wow, there's a lot of TV on these people's resumes, but they're all like exclusively Canadian TV shows. I figured this woman was probably someone y'all would recognize because I did pull that um, something called Codco that she was also on for a while. She also was a writer on 135 episodes of the Rosie O'Donnell show. Oh, really? That's like the talk show. Like, she, yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it doesn't surprise me. She is very good at what she does. Mm -hmm. She's very smart. She was also a guest judge on Canada's Drag Race. Hey, oh. so, you know. Yeah, I, I find her very witty. I could do with a little bit more of her. I know exactly what she's here to do. She's kind of like propping up the film by providing a few wisecracks. And, yeah. you know, th this is a heavy movie. So I appreciate the levity that this character brings. But also, I just like Mary Walsh and I would have done with a bit more. Yeah, but at least she, yeah. like, honestly, the scene when she quote unquote fires Oscar, I, I, I <laughs> like her and her character a lot in that scene. Although... I take yeah. issue with the fact where she's like, D -d 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 stop wasting your time here. I was like, bitch, he it's the summer after he after high school. He's not going to be here for much longer. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, bitch, I need money to get the fuck away from my abusive Yeah, <laughs> like, come on. Look, these scenes primarily exist to introduce the hottie of the film. That would be French co-worker Wilder, who was played by Alocha Schneider. And I do love that this kid is immediately like, hey, if you're gay, you love sniffing stinky shirts, right? Man, this kid, I love this character in this movie. And maybe this type mm -hmm. of teenager is more common. Well, maybe because he's French or like just because it's 2015. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you right now, meeting a kid who is this open about sexuality and being okay with kissing a dude to help him figure out his sexuality, even though he may not be gay is like a magical unicorn of a person. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jono, I was interested in this. Originally, we were actually going to cover another Canadian film by Xavier Dolan, and then we discovered it's impossible to find in the States. So maybe one day, if it ever gets to streaming. But it's fun that we end up with a French-Canadian character in the film, because I wondered, like, do you do you feel like this is kind of a tropey representation of a French-Canadian? Um, I would say, I mean, when you're saying that he felt like a unicorn, I mean, to me, it didn't feel like a unicorn. I think if you go to, like, Montreal, there's a lot of, like, very open straight mm -hmm. guys there. Yes. So I Some would of them say, are strippers. Yeah. And what's funny is that you you bring up the the fact that he like smells the shirt and masturbates. And like it mm -hmm. actually brought me back to a Xavier Dolan film, Heartbeats, where Xavier Dolan right. is enamored by this kind of like straightish, bi-ish guy and jerks off while smelling his shirt. Um, okay. So. Well, 
for, for, if you grew up in Texas, these people were unicorns. And also for any of our non-French <laughs> Canadians in the room, um, that is Xavier Dolan. <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> I truthfully, Xavier I never your Dolan. Xavier Dolan. Uh, I, I, I had no <laughs> idea. I, I don't know French. We, we learned Spanish in Texas. We didn't learn French. <laughs> I mean, this is fair, but now you understand what I'm working with when we when we cover like South American films or like. Oh yeah, no. For I guess it's just again like to me like Spanish is so easy because all the vowels have the exact same sound. Like there's no ah eh. It's it's the same sound for every vowel, but French mm-hmm. just seems so much more complicated. But nevertheless, um, Xavier Dolan. <laughs> <laughs> I I do love this character Wilder. Like I remember the mm-hmm. first time I saw this movie, I thought that Connor Jessup was like super cute, and I was very disappointed that he was straight. And then I definitely had a crush on Wilder because he's exuding this kind of casual confidence, which. I think as a closeted queer, we look at them and it feels so effortless. And I just remember being like really envious of boys who gave off this kind of vibe. I mean, okay, I was really turned on for most of their scenes. And I, I know that they are teenagers mm-hmm. in as characters, but these actors were of age when they filmed this. So I'm not a pedo <laughs> by saying this. Fox News ticker, gay <laughs> yeah. viewer, covets Loves young boys in movies. Groomer, groomer, groomer. <laughs> no, um, I, I mean, e- even the scene when Oscar is masturbating with this shirt is so mm-hmm. sexy oh, to me. But also yeah. something I have 100%, not with a shirt, but like masturbating like, in a public restroom because you were turned on by something that you saw nearby. Like, absolutely. <laughs> Yes, I believe just two episodes you talked about masturbating in a public change room. <laughs> oh, yeah, that Foley's? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I masturbated a lot. Did, did, okay, I'm sorry. Did, didn't everyone masturbate a lot when they were teenagers? Yes. Not in public. Oh, I did God. it at work. I mean, I did it at work once. So I, I this felt real to me. <laughs> okay, I at masturbated work at work once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, though, right? Like, normally we would see this presented as, oh, there's a a danger to it, or there's voyeurism or something. And this is just like the the idea of being a teenage boy with hormones in overdrive. Like, your hot coworker gives you back an item of clothing, you begin to fantasize, and you're just like, I need to be excused for two to five minutes while I just (laughs) take care of something. Uh, but this is again. This is when when the 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 magic pipe uh, reemerges, right? Yeah. So it's it's distinctively uncomfortable, and I I love the visual imagery to connote what Oscar is going through with this kind of stuff, right? Like, I think it's it's so simplistic, but it's also really easy for everyone to grasp the situation. Like, and he'll he'll talk about it later with Wilder when they're you know sleeping half naked next to each other about the thing that he feels in his gut and to me i was like that's sexual urges oscar that's not a bad thing it's just that he associates feeling turned on with the violent imagery right like he's been clockwork oranged essentially but that's where again the connect because i I feel like internalized homophobia like the connotation is like you 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 hate yourself, which is part of it. But again, it's that linking of something so traumatic and horrifically violent 
to your sexuality. <laughs> like, I, I, I almost feel like the homophobia is like, like the phobia part's like the wrong phrase for it. But I, I love, I love the way Dunn accomplishes visualizing all of this because I think it is the best way to explain to someone what internalized homophobia feels like. Although, would y'all say that people who do I want to say suffer from internalized homophobia? Like, know that they have internalized homophobia? I would say, I, I don't know. I think you, no, I don't think so. I don't think there's that level of self-awareness. Like, I think it's under the surface where you know you don't like something about yourself. And I don't think that this is necessarily specific to sexual orientation. I think people who have been bullied or who have been right. told to feel bad about themselves, like about their weight, about their gender, you know, kind of and any of the things that we like to say are bad things that are literally just human conditions. I think people, they know that they feel that way and they either try to excuse it or they try to deny it and that's where the problem lies mm -hmm. you know like there would be a really easy version of this movie where oscar says something to someone if he has a guidance counselor who maybe could listen to him or he goes into therapy but the problem is is that he's surrounded by people who either don't want to hear about it or people like Gemma who would probably help him to get help but she doesn't even know that he's dealing with this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, um, you're you're suffering from internalized homophobia. I'm going to write you a prescription for <laughs> acceptance. Um, please take one pill a day. With a side of dick, yes. <laughs> with a side of dick. <laughs> and yeah. self-love. Practice self-love. And by that, I mean masturbate in public a lot. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think people know that they suffer from inner or have inner homophobia. It's something that you work mm -hmm. through with your therapist later on. <laughs> so yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, I think it's something that you like don't really realize that is even there, I think. And then when you come out, you start to like process it. So yeah, it's it's like when uh, when you look back at your 20s, not, not removing like the gayness from just looking back at your 20s and be like, man, I was a fucking idiot back then. <laughs> <laughs> so when you come out, you can be like, oh, wow, um, I was exhibiting some really horrible toxic behaviors about my own sexuality. I don't know. Part of me thinks it's almost, it sounds shit, but I think it's almost a natural part of coming out. Like even the most confident people who came out at an early age, they probably had concerns about like, okay, I know who I am, but is this something that I want to put out into the world and then have to deal with the blowback from people well i mean that's even i mean like, like with my first boyfriend i said like you know he was he was the only other out gay kid at school he was more flamboyant and even while i dated him like i mean i would be with like with him when people would just call i mean you could argue they were calling us both faggots but like they would literally look at him and point at him and say faggot and i would just sit there because it was easier and safer for me to not say anything and also, it, God, this sounds horrible. And for but I was sixteen. It was almost a safety net to be like, oh, as long as he's around, no one's going to make fun of me because they're going to make fun of him first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, you were really testing like my trigger. Right? <laughs> oh, for episode. the F Sorry, I'll start using yes. F from now on. I just I feel like Thank in a movie you. that I feel like in a movie dealing with this subject matter, I think it's. Sorry, I, I I I will refrain from. No, saying it's fine. It, if anything, it's like you're you're removing some of the power from it. I just, I mean, look, I, I think if I'm talking about it like and like I, I was being called this or someone I was with being called, it, never mind. 
Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It, it, it's but, uh, anyway, but with this, it's just like um, again, I still feel guilty about that. It's never something that I like talk with this guy about because we did not end very healthily. Um, again, back when I was mm. sixteen, seventeen. Um, but it's something that still kind of to this day, I'm just kind of like, oh god, like I I hate that era of myself because I feel like even though I wasn't like I didn't have a malicious intent, um, and it was motivated by self preservation, I still have a lot of guilt over that phase of my life. Yeah, and I think, I mean, one of the things that we see also in the gay community is like this, there is something to be said about a lot of the gay men being uncomfortable with drag, with very effeminate men, mm-hmm. right? Mask for mask, those kinds of things, because those are what read, what read as gay, right? And that yeah. is that is that kind of internal homophobia kind of showing itself, right? So I think... I mean, for me, I was very effeminate, so it wasn't something that I could ever hide from. Or, like, it's certainly something that I had to, like, undo in terms of, like, hating things about myself. So, like, my voice Mm. I hated because it felt very nasally. So I had to, like, undo certain things. But I think we all kind of go through it and we have to... Coming out is that first step. And then it's just kind of, like, realizing what you're... um, What you've been taught to undo it. Yeah, and it it's not changing yourself, it's accepting who you are and becoming mm-hmm. more comfortable with it, right? Yeah, totally. So we jumped around a little bit in the plot. There's there's a bunch of different scenes that kind of establish Oscar's relationship to his mom and her new family. Uh, basically, he barely exists in this new unit. Uh right. a couple more scenes with Gemma where, you know, she offers him the room in New York if he wants it, and he seems kind of interested, but also uncertain. And then we get to some fun stuff with Dad. So yes. so Peter leafs through his application for college and university, and he ends up seeing a picture of himself with the caption, Deadbeat Dad. So he later shows up at Oscar's work, and he is very drunk and very belligerent. and. You know, this. these are the kinds of things where we look at Peter and, yeah, we see him as a pathetic figure. We see him, like, it, it's easy to understand what is driving him, and it's so obvious, but it doesn't excuse it. And you think, okay, well, this is the end of it, you know, Oscar will find his own way home, his dad can't drive him because he was a date. And then when Oscar gets home, he walks in on a naked woman in the shower named Christine, who is played by Paula Morgan, and then there is the super awkward kitchen scene. Oh, I see. You say awkward. I say cathartic. <laughs> it ends with a father literally throwing a glass of milk in his son's face. Yes, but, but sorry, not that he deserved the glass of milk in his face, but like watching him like tell this woman, you, this man, he's possessive. He has the temper of a child and he is bat shit crazy i'm like yes (laughs) reading him to filth and it's all true yeah i mean that 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 whole scene that whole sequence first of all i was like how do you not notice somebody in the shower (laughs) when you walk into a bathroom (laughs) i realized he had headphones on but still uh it felt a little i feel like he thought it was his dad though i would never walk into (laughs) maybe that's me but i would never (laughs) i thought my dad was in the shower it's like i'll keep i'll wait oh (laughs) 
No, no, my, 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 God, this, maybe this is me. My parents were very openly, like, naked people. I mean, sorry, they were, they would, like, walk (laughs) around the house naked. I mean, my my dad would, actually, my dad would totally walk around the house naked because whatever. But, like, if they were in the bathroom, like, getting ready, like, and I was a kid, I would Mm -hmm. walk in and, like, they'd be totally naked, like, you know, dad doing his hair, mom doing her makeup, whatever. It was just, like, we were just kind of used to it. Maybe that's why I'm comfortable being, like, a nude beach or something. Because my family was not, as, as conservative leaning as my parents were, Nudity was not really a huge thing for them. <laughs> well, I think it's also divorcing nudity from sexuality, right? Yeah. Like, yes. Because uh-huh. my parents were kind of the same. Like, it wasn't to the same extent as what you're talking about, Trace. But, like, my family went to the bathroom with the door open. Like, nobody cared if other people saw you while you were, like, peeing or getting out of the shower. Because yeah. it wasn't a sexy thing. It was just like, well, this is my body. But... Well, when y'all were, like, toddlers or maybe even up to five years old, did y'all never, like, shower with one of your parents? No. Mm, I can't okay. I, I, I have distinct memories of me showering with my dad. Okay. Not in a sexual way. It was just like, oh, yeah. My, it's like, oh, like being in the bath with your parents. Like, that's just like something that we would do. Yeah, like, I, I took baths with my sister. and Oh, yeah, I did that, too. But this, I think this was, like, up to a certain age. It was, like, as soon as my sister got towards, like, double digits, it was, like, fuck that. Put an end to that. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I wasn't, like, 10 doing this. I was, like, <laughs> three or four doing this. <laughs> So you were 16. Last week. And how old was your dad? Showering with my dad. Water's expensive. We got to conserve. Everybody pile into the shower. Family shower time. I mean, isn't that what Peter's doing with the hose here? Come on. Oh, my God. So I, I would say that whole scene, and then I felt so uncomfortable for that the woman i was like oh god like i've been in those situations where you're like at somebody's house and they start fighting and you're just like i can't Mm -hmm. escape right now it is there is something cathartic cathartic though about him like standing up to his dad yes yeah but that is like a nightmare situation if i was christine i would like slowly sink out of that chair crawl under the table and make a break for an exit (laughs) i guess okay question for y'all though like don't don't you feel like as an adult, even though it's not her child, but don't you feel like as an adult, you should be like, could you mm-hmm. maybe not abuse your child in front of my face? <laughs> yeah. 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 I was actually paying attention to her reaction. She looks uncomfortable, yeah. but she also very clearly has decided, okay, well, I don't actually know these people, so I'm not going to interfere. But yeah, I mean, like, one hopes she would not fuck Peter again after this behavior. <laughs> I would, I mean, I would hope so, yeah, because it's pretty telling of what kind of character he is. I mean, doesn't he even say when when Oscar finds her in the shower, he's like, "This is your new mom." <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, he it's just it, it's his attempt at juvenile humor that he thinks is going to be really funny, but he is not reading the room. I mean, and that's the scene where he he mentions the mom's queer partner, right? He's like, "Is your mom still dating that queer?" Yes. He's like, yeah, they're engaged. Really? I know things about him that would make your skin crawl or something like that. Which is very much, you know, he's implying, oh, well, if this person is queer, the things that they're up to, right? It's the the dirty sex stuff that your mom was so against and scared of, Trace. Uh, I would love to hear whatever stories he wanted to tell. It's probably just like, I heard he fucked a guy in the ass. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you he doesn't have any stories and he's just talking out of his own ass. Oh, 100%. It's the kind of story that's like, oh, 
oh, my friend was at the gym and he his eyes lingered a little too long. Like it's those kinds of like right. so minute little things that are like he's gay. Oh my god, those little things for me because I, I again like I said I was a late bloomer with puberty, but it was always underarm hair for me. I, I didn't get underarm hair until I was like a senior in high school, and so every time we were in the gym, I was mm. so, so I, I would always hold my hold my arms like up against like on my side because I didn't want people to see that I had no underarm hair and think that I was gay. Which, in, yes. in, in hindsight, <laughs> seems really. I yeah, know. you're just like, what the fuck was I thinking? Why? Yeah. Why would I have thought that? Instead, exactly. everyone's probably just looking at you like, what's with the weird kid holding his arms permanently at his side? He must have really bad BL. <laughs> oh my god it's like that that uh meme of like the man and the woman in bed and she's rolled away from him being like what if he's thinking of another woman and the man's like thinking of like you know what about the new star wars movie <laughs> it's yeah Trace no. in the locker room being like what if they think i'm gay and all the other kids being like what's with the weird kid with the bad bo but, but the funny <laughs> thing is though back then i probably would have preferred they think that i had bo than think that i was gay <laughs> I oh, was saying, sure. Same. <laughs> <laughs> stinky kid or gay kid? Hmm, which one do I want to be? Yeah, because I remember the stinky kid. He still had lots of friends, so. <laughs> <laughs> throw a stick of deodorant at that boy, but what can you throw at the queer? <laughs> All right. So Peter does try to apologize. I like the way that this is filmed where it's through the door. Like he doesn't even try to say, hey, let me in. Let's have a conversation about this. He tries to say, oh, I've just been having a hard week as though that excuses everything. We also have not talked about the fact that Bryn, the mother, has asked Oscar if he will keep an eye out for a personal item that she's looking to recover, which is a fur hat from her nana. And Oscar ends up finding this in his closet because his closet is half filled with his mother's old wardrobe. Oh, this bullshit. <laughs> this bullshit line where Peter, A, we've seen him already throw out a bunch of items in a box when they first got divorced, but he's keeping a bunch of her clothing almost like hostage. And he's claiming mm -hmm. this is his portion of the divorce. Like he gets to keep 50% of her stuff. The pettiness, which I do think that that stuff though would have been like settled in a divorce settlement. Like if it, cause clearly this man is a petulant child and I would <laughs> to be a fly on the wall during those mediation proceedings. <laughs> Well, I wonder, I mean, I know we kind of started the episode off partially blaming the mother for not taking Oscar, for not trying to remove him, for going off mm. and starting a kind of like replacement family. I wonder how hard she actually fought for anything or if <laughs> she was just like, all I can do is save myself and I, I'm not going to fight him because I know how petty and childish he is. I mean, she walked out of there like Tina Turner. She was like, I just want my name. And I'm out. Like, she didn't right. want anything. <laughs> I will be back for my fur hat in a decade. <laughs> it, it is the thing, though, where it's... I don't want to say that, like, if he was physically abusive, I would maybe make... It would make more sense. Like, I mean, cl clearly, me being married to this man is not a picnic. Um, Being around this mm -hmm. man, period, is not a picnic. So, again, it's like, I, I, I understand her. It, it, may, it truly may have been, like, like you just said, like, it's either me or no one, and I'm stuck here... Um, so again, I get it. I just wish the film would spend a little bit more time um, unpacking all of that than the one scene we get between her and Oscar. Yeah, it it is. I think you're fair, Jono, when you said, I think even Gemma, to a certain extent, is a little bit underwritten. Like, the women in Oscar's life are here to 
impart certain messages. Like, we know just enough to understand why the relationship between Oscar and Peter is the way it is. The We know enough to understand why the relationship with his mom is the way it is. And I think the film is just less interested in that. So it's giving us a shorthand to say, well, this is the nature of their divorce. You kind of get it, right? Yeah, I would agree. I think they, <laughs> I mean, it does show how petty he is. There was part of me that did laugh at that because it is so petty. It's just such a bizarre yeah. kind <laughs> of like thought of like, I'm going to keep your clothes. That's how much I'm so angry. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in, I also think it's really interesting that it's a, it, it's in Oscar's closet. Like you would yep. think that it would be in the father's closet, but at this point it's in mm-hmm. Oscar's closet and it's taking up half of his. So there, it's, I mean, you know, it, so, but it is, I laughed a little bit at this scene. <laughs> it is funny because it's petty and it also feeds into the kind of visual joke where Oscar's at work and that like newly married couple are looking further forever door and he's just like, get out of here with your happiness. <laughs> I love it because he's like, it lasts only about six to seven years. And I was like, uh, are we talking about the door here? Are you talking about their marriage? Yeah. Like, what do you want to bet that we now know exactly how long Bryn and Peter were married? Yeah. I also love that scene because like, (laughs) in terms of like heteronormativity and how like heterosexuality shows itself all the time to you. Like that scene where she's like, we're engaged. And then she like shows him this ring, which is like what you know a lot of people do. It's almost like pause for person to say, oh my God, congratulations. <laughs> and Oscar gives them none of that. I was never like that. I mean, even when engaged, I don't even like, I didn't like say, oh, my fiance. I was like, because I, I know it's not, but saying fiance just sounds like you're bragging. Like, look at me, I'm engaged and maybe you're not. <laughs> oh, I, I fully did. Like, as soon as I could say husband or fiance, I used it all the time around straight people because i wanted them i wanted to either have them assume so i could correct them or i wanted them to know like as soon as possible oh there's the giant homo oh my god he's getting married oh my god they're infringing on my heteronormative right i would say i more i'm more apt to say it now i didn't use husband when we first got married i for the first year or two i'd never said it i always said partner boyfriend but at one mm-hmm. point I said, no, I think it's important for me to say it because it's kind of like there's a political yep. aspect to it that I think is important. A hundred percent. I don't know. I mean, like, look, you and listeners, everyone, like, y'all know I'm fairly comfortable with my sexuality. I'm a fairly open person as evidenced by many episodes we've recorded before. But even like I went to a GameStop to go buy Pokemon cards and I was I, I was I I like second guessed myself to be like, oh, yeah, my husband bought me this thing that got me back into the cards because I, I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know these people. I don't know what they're going to think if i say my husband did this like it's i don't know it's a weird thing where like i'm so open and so comfortable but in situations like that i tense and clam up yeah it's called internalized homophobia (laughs) trace (laughs) i'm not even kidding because you've been conditioned to accept it's like why would you care what they say yeah well i don't know what if they look at me funny to be fair (laughs) there are cares (laughs) i would say i understand that because there are times where you do like that's the thing about being gay is that you can you do have this like life where you kind of go in and out of the closet even after Mm -hmm. after you've come out even if you're out and proud there are moments where it comes into your head saying like this is you know you'll be having conversation and like i'm about to tell them that i'm gay right by saying something 
it is always with you. And there are times, I mean, I don't know where exactly you are, Trace, but I certainly know like some, sometimes if I'm in upstate New York, if where it's not I have safe. family there, yeah, I will like be a little bit more hesitant. Well, yeah, because so I'm, I'm in Denver now, which is better but still i mean like denver's like 50 50 like liberal conservative split but even growing up in texas like houston and austin i was in the cities but my husband is from lubbock which is a city in west texas so it's surrounded by absolutely nothing it's super conservative and it's like one of those places where it's like oh no you you don't go into a place and announce that you have a husband like that's not what you do there because you will at best you'll get a dirty look at worst something bad will happen right yeah, you might get a piece of rebar. Yes, exactly. Exactly that. So, but but you're right, Jonathan. It's a thing where it's like, no matter what, if you tell someone, my boyfriend, my husband, you are coming out to that person right then and there, which is not something that straight people ever have to worry about. And that's why it's always there. Yeah. What we do also get, though, is straight men or bisexual coded men driving by in trucks and being like, how much for a blowjob? Oh my god. Also, you want to talk about making a cigarette look sexy? Oh, this man. <laughs> I mean, this child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Wilder offers to give Oscar a ride home. We get a, a gently comical interlude where we nearly crash the truck because Buffy has gone missing inside the radio. And yeah, just in case you weren't already paying attention to Wilder's lips and thinking about the two of these boys kissing, let's have extended sequences where we get to watch him blow smoke. A lot. I mean, like, I, a lot. <laughs> I, I'm a former cigarette smoker. I thought it was sexy back in the day. I think I still think it looks sexy sometimes. It just never smells or tastes sexy. Oh, it looks sexy yeah. all the time. I get it. I used to smoke too. <laughs> uh, and I, <laughs> I'm okay. recovering smoking addicts. <laughs> But there, there. I mean, it makes you want to smoke in a way. Like there are times. But yeah. then I remember like the taste and the the feeling of it. Uh, but it certainly does. There is a sexy quality to it. It's always mm. a thing where like, because I, because I, I don't, I don't smoke any. I don't smoke cigarettes like regularly anymore. But if I get like, if I'm out and I'm drinking, um, I will absolutely be like, I need a cigarette right now. But it's yeah. when you're smoking and you're making out with someone who is not a smoker. That's when you're really conscious yeah. about like, oh, mm-hmm. what, what does my mouth smell and taste like right now? <laughs> <laughs> right. And as someone who doesn't smoke and hasn't smoked, I can tell you. <laughs> you never even tried a cigarette i've tried them yeah oh, okay, but... okay 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 oh did you fly on that wall at that time period Ugh, just watching joe <laughs> try to smoke a cigarette <laughs> was there a lot of coughing involved in true queer form i used to smoke cigarellos with my old boss <laughs> she was that kind of gay boy <laughs> In high school, I discovered these cigarettes called Capris. So you know those Virginia Slims are the ones that always oh, yeah. smoke, but they're really long. But Capris are the ones that are really long, but they're about the diameter of a lollipop stick. And mm-hmm. boy, oh boy, did I think I was some Creole Deville fucking fancy ass bullshit <laughs> smoking those things when I was seventeen years old. <laughs> oh, see to see a picture of that. There was a kid in the parking lot. He had this big monster truck. It was a huge truck, and so at lunch we would go out and sit under this truck and smoke cigarettes. <laughs> that is weird, man. That is like the gayest butch shit I have ever heard. That's how I rebelled, man, because I wasn't a rebel. I didn't go out and get drunk. I didn't party, but goddamn, if I didn't try to smoke as many cigarettes as I could, because that was how I rebelled. Under a monster truck. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think 
it's also that smoking is like a social thing. Like that's how you start, right? You, somebody offers you a cigarette or you like your friend gives you a cigarette. And like there is something very sexy about sharing a cigarette. Like I remember very much oh. in Stratford, like where I was very much in the closet, there was a the hottest guy in school that I thought was the hottest offered me a cigarette and we shared <laughs> and cozy it. cozy up to him and asked to share <laughs> Oh, man. Like, core memory right there. Cigarette smoking circles are, like, the best form of social... I'm sorry. Everyone, don't smoke. <laughs> Children, don't <laughs> smoke. <laughs> but... <laughs> really selling it, boys. But when I did smoke... I mean, like, seriously, going up to me, oh, can I bum a cigarette? Having someone bum one for me? And then you're kind of... Tra- not trapped in a conversation, but it's like, oh, hey, it's a great way to make friends. I made so many friends smoking cigarettes in college. Don't smoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> um okay so (laughs) i'm trying to redirect us back so oscar and wilder end up hanging out in the treehouse and wilder thinks it's really cool they hang out for a little bit they talk about their plans for the future and uh this is also when we learn that buffy is actually a boy hamster which will get a very amusing payoff when isabella rossellini changes her vocal inflections to sound more mannish and then talks about having a gender jam (laughs) (laughs) but uh important to note that when wilder leaves peter sprays him with the hose like he always would with Gemma and you know initially it's like oh sorry I thought you were this other person and this is the first sort of clear instance where we see Peter trying to reconcile with the fact that his son may be gay because when Wilder is incredulous that he would mistake Gemma for Oscar well wait 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 he goes oh sorry I thought you were my son's girlfriend and Wilder's reply is girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's incredulous (laughs) yeah but i love that then he sprays him again but it has kind of an air of malice like i can't believe you made me think like now i have to start thinking oh is my son gay yeah and that's why he does it so oscar is also being a huge dick at this point because he does this really shit photoshop job on Gemma's face by making her face skinnier and her skin whiter and i did like this scene i think you could excise it without really affecting the overall film too much but i think it's important to note that like a oscar is not infallible he's not like a perfect person just because he's struggling with his sexuality and he has a bad home life but also it's these sort of it's another example of how you think you might be doing something for someone maybe even a kindness and you're still actually hurting them because you haven't considered what they're thinking well but it's also mirroring his own experience right like because he is hiding who he is and it's hurting him and so what he's doing he's thinking he's helping Gemma by hiding her true self behind this photoshop right. picture and it's exactly it's the exact opposite but Gemma responds appropriately where she's like no i love myself yeah she has that level of acceptance that <laughs> let's just say oscar is still searching for i like that it was almost like she had a mask on her face in the the picture because it did look Right. You know, pretty like it's so blatant. <laughs> yeah. And I mean that, that is like the illusion of like being queer and being in the closet is that you're hiding and you're wearing a mask, right, behind yourself to hide yourself, your true self in mm-hmm. Um but yeah. Yeah. It it's it's an interesting commentary too, because technically this is Oscar's wheelhouse, right? Like he's been doing makeup 
for photography throughout this entire movie, right? Like he's been doing and painting Gemma's face, but he's not seeing what he's doing as another example of that when he does this bad Photoshop. Like you're just making another mask. Like this is a creature that you have created out of Gemma. That's not the real her. Yeah. So Oscar and Wilder effectively get themselves fired at work. And this is when Wilder says, oh, he's leaving for Berlin very soon. And he invites Oscar to a Friday the 13th Monster Mash party. The aforementioned F-slur party that his dad does not want him to go to. (laughs) Yeah. Whether or not Oscar would have really considered going to this before is... I think a bit uncertain like he probably would have gone because he wanted to go be near Wilder but particularly when he gets a rejection letter which I I love again this is a very kind of simple way of signifying what Oscar is going through but I love that he sees the word unfortunately and then the whole letter is made up of unfortunately and then when he goes into his room everything is unfortunately oh i wrote that in my notes too i was like that is because right that's exactly what your eyes gravitate towards when you read something like that Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and I, then you can't see anything but yeah and you focus on that one thing right and that mm-hmm. like follows you everywhere like the fact that he goes into his room and that's all, everything he sees says unfortunately um because it does stay yeah. with you wait are we talking about unfortunately or are we talking about the word gay <laughs> both i mean both but i would say like those kinds of rejections they follow you right and they kind of right. haunt you Yeah, so Oscar doesn't take this particularly well. He yells at Buffy when she tries to comfort him, and then he literally kicks Peter into the closet (laughs) after picking out an outfit from his mother's wardrobe. So in a way, he is doing a bit of drag. And this is when we get the Essler in the description of the party. But he doesn't care. He goes there anyway. As he should. Sure. Get the impression Oscar hasn't gone to a lot of parties either. Well, because okay, I'm jumping a little bit because later in the film, you know, when, when Wilder's like, have you ever been with a guy? He's like, well, I've done stuff. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. what, what stuff are you talking about? Because you haven't kissed someone before. That's apparent. So I feel like it, mm-hmm. it's a lie. Well, I'm curious. Yeah. Like, how do you two read this? Do you think it's that he's imagined things? Because at this point, he's already masturbated to Wilder's image like he does seem to know that he is queer like i don't ever get the impression he's fighting it he just doesn't ever verbalize it i i kind of saw it because that is after he the bathroom scene right where he starts yes. to kind of have sex mm-hmm. i kind of saw that as like that's what he's talking about because i think at that age too like you kind of can like inflate a lot of your experience like i vividly remember like licking some guy's dick but then telling everybody that i gave him a blowjob right uh, like, <laughs> like licking I i'm sorry you you, you just like lit it, like, like, like a quick lick or you like you licked it for a bit <laughs> like a oh, wait, like harmonica style <laughs> <laughs> no not like harmonica. no it was just a very quick interaction uh it was uh i think it was in a we were in a bit like a club bathroom um, and I like right. Oh, I get it. Very quick. You give it a lick, and then you get the fuck out of there. Yeah, but I, you know, like when I told the story, it was like, oh, I gave this guy head, and it was like because right. it felt like you know I didn't want to feel like the virgin or like the person that didn't have any experiences. Mm-hmm. And to me, I kind of read it as that is that he had an experience in the bathroom, and so he's saying like, well, I've done stuff, but like, right? Yeah. He's not comfortable with it, obviously. Like, the weirdest thing to me about this, like, we can we can 
dance around the party like very quickly because all we need to know is that yeah he gets more done up by brigitte who is uh the girl that wilder is maybe fucking who is uh played by marth bernard but yeah he makes eyes at this boy andrew who is played by james hosley when he feels like wilder is moving away from him or when wilder is engaging in more traditionally heterosexual behavior but like this is full-on a, this is not really consensual sex because uh, at this point Oscar has done drugs and he is not in his right mind. But like Andrew is aggressive. Like, yeah, he's not lying when he tells Wilder later he hasn't kissed because Andrew barely lets him do anything before he just fucks him. Yeah. Mm. Well, but would you call this a rape scene? I do in my notes. I mean, it felt. I agree. I think it felt a little bit aggressive. Like, the fact is that, like, Oscar doesn't invite him in the bathroom. He just shows up. He follows him there. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he immediately starts. And while yeah. there is an element of Oscar kind of, like, going along with it, it didn't feel... Mm-hmm. Like, consent felt out the window for me in this scene. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't think Andrew reads it that way like Hmm. he's like oh this guy was making eyes at me we danced flirtatiously and then i see him go into the bathroom i follow him in and we have sex but like oscar clearly doesn't even really understand what's going on in this moment i guess on the bright side quote unquote he does leave once it's clear that oscar is incapable of having sex but he also abandons him he leaves him I would read this as, oh, the person you're hooking up with suddenly gets violently ill, and you're like, cool, bye. I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, it's like a, it's good that he stops, but bad that, but everything else about it is bad. Still shitty. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's still know. shitty. It's still shitty. I agree. Also, I, I, I mean, like, look, I, when it comes to portrayals of anal penetration on on screen, um, in non pornographic mm-hmm. films, it's always a thing where I'm like, okay, like he pulls out a condom. I don't see any lube there. I don't even know if we see him spit on his penis, Mm-mm. but he just pushes that thing in, which I'm like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, like, for what this film does and doesn't show, right? We talked about the sexual assault hate crime and how we can very clearly imagine the violence. Here, it's it's brief, but it's, again, very, very clear that that is what they're doing. They're having anal sex. I appreciated the fact that we do get to see a condom because that would almost be more upsetting in this day and age. But yeah, it's unusual. Like, it, it was so much more aggressive than i would have expected like i would have thought that they would just like make out and then the first time i saw this i was like whoa we're we're doing full-on butt stuff for the first time okay wow question and this is this isn't me pushing back on the reading of a rape because i agree with you all on this but do you think that oscar will a right now views this as a sexual assault or b in like five years will look back at this moment and be like oh my god i was raped i don't think he sees mm. it in the moment no i think mm-hmm. definitely and, not. And not that either answer changes the opinion like changes what it is i'm just i'm just mm-hmm. uh, uh uh speculating or uh here yeah i mean i i would say like yeah i mean it's it's tough to say and also like andrew he could have been he could have been high too he could have been drunk like he could also right. his oh yeah sense of like morality might have been skewed as well because of 
alcohol and drugs. Well, because no, it's ex- it's ecstasy Oscar's on. I don't know. I don't know what Andrew's on, if anything, but it's definitely ecstasy that Oscar's on. Yeah. So I, I think it's something that he might like look back on and think like, oh, yeah, like I was definitely like assaulted. I don't know if it, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's tough to say. It's like a, a weird situation where like you have this person who's pretty much inebriated and like high on something. And the scene does seem to suggest that Oscar is going along with it at first. But right. then you have to think of like, but he's going along with it. Why? Like he's also high on ecstasy, which makes you much more, you know, <laughs> feel good and horny. <laughs> and of course we've all made bad decisions under the influence you know often with regard to sex and the either the people we're engaging with or the acts that we perform or even the timing right where you're kind of like maybe they would have had a genuine connection but under these circumstances it was not the correct way to go about things i don't know that the movie is actually that interested in us interrogating it even to this level like this to me seems a bit more like okay we need to know that oscar is making a bad decision out of how he feels about wilder and then we need to bring back the idea of like how do we visually manifest the internalized homophobia which is you know when he barfs out all of the screws and it's a a fantastic kind of body horror moment and we know that this is like he is still not okay with what's going on yeah i think if anything this scene is also more of a commentary on gay culture to be honest because something like this isn't out of the ordinary as as, as shitty as it is to say it's not out of the ordinary for like that club life Mm -hmm. so wilder ends up coming to his rescue he feeds him water they end up escaping into the rain they go to the treehouse this is the kind of emotional climax of the movie where the object of affection ends up taking not pity but he he provides the comfort that someone like buffy has been providing oscar Mm -hmm. this entire movie and just in case you didn't think that dripping water into somebody's mouth was like super sexually charged (laughs) this part gave me the vapors (laughs) these teenagers i know right (laughs) <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> We're all on a watch list. <laughs> I love teenagers. <laughs> I don't know. I I love the way that, you know, I think the thing that I like the most about this movie is how it understands how to make a moment emotionally and visually charged. Like, the music is on point in this movie. The use of slow motion is on point, particularly in the scenes between Oscar and Wilder. And then, yeah, like, these these intimate little moments. Like, this could be really corny. Like, this could be disgusting, watching somebody drip water from their mouth. Like, do we really need to see a water snowball in this movie? No, but it's hot and it helps us to understand like these are more appropriate sexual encounters that we want for oscar because we have seen him go through shit so yeah they have this really nice moment we we skipped over the conversation a little bit where wilder does ask him like what have you done with boys you know yeah he's very sexually fluid in his openness to helping oscar find that but when when oscar wakes up in the morning it's like every bad one night stand where the guy is gone and they've left you a vague note <laughs> okay see you in berlin oh you lied about that too okay well um bye 
so Oscar sneaks into his mom's house. He's feeling especially low, so he proceeds to blame her for giving up and fucking up his life. I'm curious, given the way that you two have talked about Bryn, did you find this cathartic? I did. I get get her reply where she's like, that's not fair. I was like, yeah, it's not just your fault that he's fucked up. It's a lot of people's faults. And it's also his fault because he makes some decisions. But, I mean, it... I appreciated seeing their reconciliation, but at the same time, like, again, like, I just, I needed to know where this mom was for the last 10 yeah. years. And because clearly the, the, the dad's behavior around him is not a new development. And so I'm just like, I get why you needed mm. to escape, lady, but come on, like, come on. You two are coming down so hard on this <laughs> woman. <laughs> I feel like we are definitely going to get like listeners writing in being like, let me tell you about how shitty my fucking divorce was. <laughs> and I had, I had to it's leave not, my kid behind. Here's the thing. I, it's, for me, it didn't feel cathartic in any way. And I think because again, it goes to my original point. It feels underwritten. Like I want a larger conversation mm-hmm, okay. about why this woman, like this mother, like didn't do anything to help her son. Right. And, like, I know that there are reasons, probably, but I just feel like it wasn't as obvious, and it should have been more obvious. Okay. It's not even the choice to leave. It is just the fact that in the past 10 years, like, like yeah. why, after a certain point, once she got a stat, like, once she was stable and able to live on her own, or once she got a fiancé, why mm. didn't she try to bring this kid with her, knowing that he was being emotionally abused by this horrible man? I, that, that, I can, right. I understand the leaving. I understand not taking him with her, but it's in those 10 years since where I'm like, what the fuck were you doing, woman? I can understand that, yeah, because I agree with you, Jono. I think part of this is because we don't have that information, yeah. no amount of conversation at this point is going to help to illuminate why she didn't come back for him in those last 10 years. So even... If we had have gotten it, it probably wouldn't have sufficed because we needed to know more of who this woman is. But to not even have that just makes it be like, I don't understand you as a character, as a mother. Like, there's just a lot of questions. Even yeah. a simple, you, you're you're a result of my relationship with this man and it was difficult for me to look at you. Even something like that, I'd be like, Ooh. okay, I get it. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make it good, but I get it. Yeah, it would have given us more. It would have given us more. Like, we do not get much from this character. And, like, the fact that, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is the thing, is that, like, she has a whole other... I mean, she has two whole-ass kids that, like, yeah, we yeah. have no idea what the relationship are. Like, I don't know. I feel like if you had step-siblings, like, there might be some, like, tension. But, like, shouldn't there be, like, kind of mm-hmm. a relationship there? Like, they almost seem like an afterthought. So, yeah. It just feels like this side of his life yeah. feels kind of forgotten about and it's not like the movie's over stuff we're looking at an 89 minute movie so they could have i mean not that i need 15 more minutes but like 15 minutes could have been used to flesh out that side of the story i wonder if it's just a pacing issue right like so much of this is about oscar do we really have time to kind of pause so that we can unpack where mom's been the last 10 years i mean from the nature of the conversation we're having it sounds like that would have been appreciated or is there a way we could have yeah like had some kind of comment this is why does that undercut her kind of emotional moment where she says you know like you've never had it easy she she relates the story about how he was born with the umbilical cord strangling him which is a fairly apt metaphor for Mm -hmm. a certain number of queer people's experiences right like basically the minute you were born you were having to go through it it's rough but 
does that make it less powerful because it's coming from her and you're just like well bitch who are you to him no not, not, i mean not, not necessarily again I, I have no it's not even that i have an issue with like her leaving or her not reaching out to him it's just that, that, that oscar doesn't seem to and oscar and the film don't seem to have an interest in asking why yeah i mean if you think of like like i i, I keep thinking about the hours with julianne moore leaving her her son and husband oh yes right but we get the we understand that character though i like yeah it's not the greatest decision but i still feel for that character and i understand her motivation but but that's also though it's it's not a one-to-one comparison because in that particular story i mean we have like three different stories in one movie but her story is still about her and of course we learn later that like that, that, that the son's story, of course, it's like Ed, Ed Harris grown up and he's part of Meryl Streep's story. But so we get both sides of that, whereas we don't get both sides of it here. Yeah. But, but I, I get the comparison. I wonder if what it is, is we're not really getting Peter's side of the story, but we have enough information about the way he reacts to things to understand him implicitly as a, like he's a character who can stand on his own two legs in this film. Whereas with Bryn, we're only getting these little interactions, but we don't have enough of an understanding apart from like this couple of lines of dialogue, which is coming honestly right near the end of the movie yeah. to kind of understand really what's been driving her and because she's not present, she's not as much of a character. That's also kind of why I didn't feel as cathartic, because it felt more like a beat, like a, well, we're heading to the conclusion, like, we need to wrap this up. Right. So. Well, it, it, I, I think I think him confronting her is cathartic, but it doesn't necessarily have the uh, conclusion or the answer that I want, because they, they make mm. up very quickly. Yeah, I think it's also because we're we're about to go into this, like, really dynamic head-to-head scene between Oscar and Peter, right? So... In a way, it's like, okay, wrap up the mom so that we can get to the stuff that we've really been building to this whole film. So Yeah, it's uh, because the film views the dad as the villain, when in fact, I think both parents are villains, just in different ways. Ooh. Yeah, I would agree. Well, one thing that Bryn does not do is trash all of Oscar's belongings, leave them in a giant pile outside on the lawn, and kill the hamster. <laughs> mom of the year. She didn't throw her kids' shit outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy this is rough did you expect that buffy would be dead here no i mean well now i did because i've seen it before but the first time i don't think (laughs) i i expected that (laughs) helpful trace good to know that in hindsight you remembered the movie But honestly, it's so funny because like while all this is happening, it's just honestly just watching Jessup in this scene because it's it's a mm-hmm. mostly wordless scene as the parents are fighting and just oh my god, oh man, he's giving a hell of a wordless performance here. Well, it's like this is the person who basically got him through childhood, right? Like mm-hmm. every time he needed reassurance, every time he needed comfort from the mother who was not there, he had this fucking hamster like that clearly was just a manifestation of what he needed to hear inside his own head did y'all have a token like that from your childhood that you held on to because i can tell you right now oh god i had a blankie um that i absolutely slept in a bed with until almost until i was in high school and not because i I, because i just i was like oh i've always slept with this so therefore it's in my bed like there at all times it was 100 percent something that i held on to for like emotional safety support i don't know (laughs) and what you don't know is that was actually the fourth one Oh, 
<laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? But yes, uh, no, but, but no, but, but the, the, the Buffy thing here, like, I connected to because again, like, the, I'm like, oh yeah, Buffy's my blankie. That's absolutely what that was. Mm-hmm. But also, yes, that. <laughs> god it was funny because i actually took a look at it I was like what is the lifespan of a hamster um 18 months is the normal lifespan of a hamster oh boy yeah they don't last long that that does seem perfect for a classroom right it's like well this will last the school year <laughs> my mom would have them for her class and then she'd bring them home at, at, during the summer and they would end they would inevitably die yeah. in our care um uh, god, the retirement community for hamsters <laughs> But okay, but but we get this amazing moment though, where he pulls this bar out of his stomach and attacks Ooh. his dad with it. That felt cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I I will confess, I I find this really uncomfortable and almost traumatic. Like I recognize that it's a moment of acceptance and empowerment, but I only feel that when he's pulled it out of himself. Like it is excruciating to watch him grab this and scream because it looks so painful which i I think is apt like this is the point of it but i find it very difficult to watch yeah it feels so authentic and i mean we didn't mention this earlier i mean like because he pushes he kicks his dad in the closet to go to this you know party Mm -hmm. and now he sends it back into the house which is basically a larger version of a closet which i love i love that imagery well and it's it's especially poignant when you think about the fact that his dad built him a miniature house that's away from the house proper right like the tree house is a refuge certainly but it's also like okay i'm i'm giving you this own place because i don't really want you in my own house so it's very much like where do we go when we need safety and security but also like where do we lock each other in yeah i mean i would say it it felt to me why it felt cathartic one because he's obviously like removing it he's getting rid of that shame or starting to get rid of that shame Mm -hmm. and then like locking his dad like i love that he like puts that bar in and then like twists it oh yeah lock his dad in there just kind of like you're locking those demons away saying like you cannot hurt me Mm -hmm. anymore so to me that's that was why it was so cathartic because there is as much as like yes i this dad i do feel for him in some ways and like he is sympathetic he is very menacing and that is like when you're a queer kid that is so menacing to have somebody look at you and be like disappointed and be somewhat violent towards you because of who you are. So that the fact that mm-hmm. he like grabs that and like shows strength because I, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I would never try to bend one of those rebars where I can't even imagine I could, but it felt, it felt just oh, very like yeah. beautiful and like kind of symbolic and really wonderful. Yeah. No, the, 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 that's the magical fantasy realism that Dunn was talking about. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 actually yeah. do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I, I think so, but it's also like, I, I hear what you're saying, Jono, because to me that it's like by accepting himself and who he truly is and what he wants, it gives him that kind of superhuman power to do yeah. this thing. Like whether you want to believe this is fantastical and it's like, no, this didn't actually happen. Sure. Do that if you like for me i i look at this as by accepting himself he has gotten true power and he has the ability to do amazing things now yeah it's not that like it's like strength i mean it is strength but it's not like i don't know it's just like when you accept yourself when you like push back against what the world is giving you there is immense Mm -hmm. strength in that and that's to me like the beauty of that scene not that i think he was actually locking his dad in (laughs) 
Oh no! I'm just, I, I, I know you didn't actually think, that. but and, but and I, I love that because we get the one-two punch of this scene within him sending Buffy off to a Viking funeral in the sea, and again it's right. that it's losing that self-hatred. Um, yeah, he's cured. No more internalized homophobia, but also getting like getting rid of that like aspect of your childhood and but that, honestly the buffy funeral is more of the coming of age aspect of this movie for me i'm curious though so do we like the fact because we we've, we've had a lot of conversations about queer rage and queer violence like mm-hmm. fighting back against the people who oppress us who threaten us who put our lives in danger or be they they slash them be, you know, Peter in this movie, who is ultimately revealed to be violent, right? Like he fucking destroyed that bedroom, yeah. killed that hamster. Would you have preferred to see Oscar hit his father with this rebar instead of taking a more quote unquote passive approach and saying like, no, all I'm doing is I'm going to lock you up and I'm going to send you know, my poor dead hamster I had to see. No, I would not have liked that. I would have felt very uncomfortable. Oh, I I mean, I, I don't I, I don't want to say I would have preferred it, but I wouldn't have batted an eye at it. Yeah, I think to me it's, yeah, I don't know. I just, to me it made more sense to just like, no, like scare him and then push him back. Like that to me was what. So you want to take the high road is what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, because the thing is like, while I understand that, the, the dad is like this kind of like conduit for like a lot of homophobia, but the the dad's character is essentially also somebody who you still have to have a relationship with this person. Right. And from the end mm. of the movie, like there's still an attachment there, right. There's, it ends with that like flashback of a scene, right. There is a, a beauty to parts of their relationship. There's love there. So I think had there been right. more like that kind of violence, because I mean, if I'm not mistaken, like, we never see him hit Oscar, right? I mean, yes, he kills the mm-hmm. hamster, of course, which is awful, but he never hits his own son. So to me, it would, I don't know, no. it would feel unbalanced in that way. Maybe I excuse the dad too much. I don't know. <laughs> I think it would be out of character for sure. Like I raised it merely because I think there's a moment where the film wants us to believe that Oscar is actually going to hit him. And of course, he ends up just like striking this box or something else that's sort of next to the house i personally don't mind this i think that it's in keeping with the sort of visual imagery that we've seen in the film before and it (sighs) i don't know i mean i think yeah i'm babbling trace take over it's it's <laughs> Look, it's not an easy answer. I mean, everyone's going to react and behave to things in in different ways. I mean, I, this isn't a one to one comparison to the they slash them situation because that's a murderer. But mm-hmm. I'm sorry, those are um you know uh, conversion therapists. But at the same time, though, based on the reaction that that film had, I, I, it's it's nuanced. It's not easy. And yes, violence is bad. And, but we also shouldn't always be expected to take the high road because we are discriminated against and blah, 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 blah. And if that sounds like I'm being flippant, it's not my intention. It's just that there's not an easy answer here. Um, it could have gone away where, where, where he hit his dad. And how would that change the ending for you? It's going to, people are going to view that in different ways, but that's why I think it's important right. though, that we end the film with him cl- closing the book on Buffy, which is more of a, of a, a peaceful, closure than the mm-hmm. one we get with his father and also why it's really important that we we 
after the Buffy funeral, we end with him having memories of the good times with his father when he was a child. Okay, so this is fascinating. You have both said that this is either a flashback or a memory. This is fantasy. I don't think that this happened. This is what he wishes he could have with his father to me. Oh, I did not view that at all. Because to me, it's like... Look, when you're a kid and you're not like when you're not a teenager with hormones going through sexuality, like there's no worry about you being gay because you're whatever. So you have those happy moments with your family. Once you start to come to your own and and explore your sexuality and God God forbid, if you're gay, that depending on your parents, that 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 reality that you used to have is now well, it is a fantasy, but it didn't doesn't mean it didn't happen. I, I, I did view these things as things that actually happened when he was a child. Yeah, I mean, I, I also saw it as as a flashback, too. But I, I, I can also see how you would see it as like this kind of like fantasy, um, especially because mm-hmm. in, in this one, particularly, as opposed to the first one, right? The dad says, no, you're old enough to make your own dreams, right? So to me, it's this kind of like, right. there is this aspect to it of like, this is when Oscar realizes that he doesn't need to get his love or acceptance of himself from his dad. He can have that by himself. Mm-hmm. And he can find it by himself. He doesn't need his father for that. But I also do think I still stand that it is a flashback to a happier time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the my reasoning, the reason that I think that this is made up is because not only do I think this is sort of too perfect, like it's too pat, it's the kind of thing that Peter wouldn't, have said to him and therefore i think it's what he wishes he would have gotten from his father particularly after everything that went down and he's now set up and able to reflect on his life because he's in a better place that he's made his own right he's in his new house that he's decorated it's entirely his the key piece here is we hear a balloon pop and in all of those other flashbacks Peter just released the air against his head to send him these pleasant dreams. The popping of the balloon suggests that that is a fantasy, and then you pop it, and now we're back to reality, and that's why we end the film with this overhead image of Oscar just looking, you know, and I think it's open to interpretation, so I'm not suggesting you're wrong and I'm right, but to me, I read this almost as a sad ending where he realizes he's never going to get that and his dream is popped oh see the the popping for me symbolized that he'll never have that again he had it at one point but now he's crossed the threshold and the popping is like well that's the end of that like and i can't live i can't live expecting that or or use that those memories as comfort anymore because that's not the relationship i have with my father anymore yeah. Oh. Okay. So again, not, also not saying you're wrong. I I, I can see it no, either yeah. way. But I just yeah. <laughs> I, I truthfully, truthfully, never considered the option that this was even a fantasy. Okay. So you both sort of read this as this is a happy ending. Bittersweet. Yeah, I would say bittersweet. I think it's more of like he. Yeah. I mean, I can also see. I I, I wrote this down, this line down too, because that in that scene he says love you son and i'm so so proud of you which i do see lends mm-hmm. itself more to fantasy but i can also see that yeah. as something a dad would say to his son when he's young i don't know but yeah when he's a four-year-old kid <laughs> he's revealed to be gay <laughs> yeah <laughs> Ooh. and everybody go and book your therapy session right after this episode (laughs) good lord i know that's what we just did right here we had a three-way therapy session (laughs) 
<laughs> Excuse me, you did not ask for consent. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yes, that that is Closet Monster, everyone. Um, any final thoughts on the film? I actually, I, I got everything out, so I actually don't have any final thoughts on this film. But Jonathan, what are your final thoughts on this film? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I feel like I got all of my thoughts out as well. I think it uh, it's a great film. I definitely do suggest you go see it uh, or look 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 for it. It is a, a really great film, and there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I I hope that if you hadn't seen it and you listened to this, that you're encouraged to go and check it out because it is just a really quiet and powerful mm-hmm. film. I also think that Stephen Dunn is a really great visual storyteller. So there's a lot to unpack in this film that you're not getting simply by listening to us. My only other final thing is a recommendation. If you like this movie, if you've already seen Boys in the Trees, I will recommend another film that has a similar kind of vibe to it. It's a little bit bittersweet, melancholy, queer, Mm -hmm. and also Canadian. It's a great little movie called Giant Little Ones. It came out a couple years ago. Very similar kind of themes to this. Okay. Innocence Lost and Coming of Age and that kind of stuff. It'd make a really good double bill. You just reminded me. I would also recommend, because the whole time I was watching this, I kept thinking of another Canadian film. <laughs> We're really pushing yes. this. Um, but from 1996, I think, or 97, The Hanging Garden, which is also a queer film oh my God. set on the East Coast <laughs> that has magical realism yes. to it. Um, it yeah, I, mean, oh. I started watching it today because I was like, I should like check it out again. So definitely check that out as well. And so it's called The Hanging Hanging Door? The Hanging Garden. Hanging Garden. Hanging Garden. Yeah. So I'm looking it up right now just for my own benefit. <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime if you have it. Got it. Uh, all right. Well, okay. That has been Closet Monster, everyone. And before we announce we're covering next week, um, Jonathan, where can people find you if they want to talk to you? Uh, they can find me on all my socials. Uh, <laughs> I only have two. Uh, Instagram and Twitter uh, at yellow weight. So the color yellow and weight. All right. <laughs> I want to, di- I want to dig into that <laughs> yellow white. <laughs> it's, it's, okay. it's fanatic. It's my friend. It's a bit of piss play. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Man, well, if you exactly. want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horrorqueers. Shoot us an email at horrorqueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Uh, go to our YouTube channel to watch us interview uh, horror filmmakers. Uh, if you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you'd like to show us some love and get more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We are almost done with March, so go sign up now and you'll get our episodes from this month on the outwaters hbo's adaptation of the last of us the uh, adam driver dinosaur movie 65 scream 6 and an audio commentary on the strangers pray at night uh i think we're up to uh, shit probably 230 hours now joe huh yes we passed that because we also dropped a secret audio commentary on scream 2022 that trace is not involved in but it did give us a couple of extra bonus hours yes and my husband's in that one too so go listen to that there we go yeah (laughs) uh joe what are we talking about next week we're also in the horror adjacent territory again i believe oh boy yeah we are kicking off april with a absolute doozy this is going to be divisive particularly for people who have not checked out a yorgos lanthimos film before trace we are talking about the killing of a sacred deer 
Oh, man. Yeah, this will be divisive. I will tell y'all, this is a movie that I saw at a film festival, and I walked out, and I was like, five stars. (laughs) (laughs) But it will not be for everybody. (laughs) Ooh. Some people really fucking hate this movie. <laughs> oh, man. But it is, at the very least, if you, even if you hate it, um, I, that's totally fine. But, man, there is there are so many things to talk about with this interesting little film. But I'll leave it at that. So until next week, everyone, yeah, we, can, <laughs> we can cross out Closet Monster. Indeed. And cross out Horror Queers. 